You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. What are you talking about? No, it's not him. Now, there's only one more. There is only one more. There is, that's, that's it. One more. Get around. They saw your team put up zero effort. Wake up! Remember in the old days they used to have oxygen for them. Where's the oxygen? Play like absolute just garbage. <laughs> this is the Sports Loud Mouths. Yay! Man, can you keep it down? I'm trying to introduce here. With Errol Marks and Speedy Beanie. You're not even a has-been. You're a never was. You're a never was. July! 19th yes it is july it's the middle of july you are listening to the sports loud mouth i'm your host daryl marks my co-host speedy Petey. yes ladies and gentlemen you can call us at 631-672-3108 is the number to call you can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com check out all our shows throughout the week including the Sports Loud Mouths, which airs every single Wednesdays at 9 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Speedy Petey, what is up, my friend? Had a very fun weekend. Got to see my Woo! uncle and uh, his kids. Uh, who came, They came Woo! up from Florida. They came up for the first time in four years. It's been since COVID. Before COVID was the last time we ended up seeing them. And it was a lot of fun. We went to the beach on Saturday. We went. We did some bowling. We celebrated two birthdays over the weekend. My aunt, who uh, it was July 13th, and that's uh, one of his sons, Keith, that turned 13 on the 15th. So uh, we celebrated both their birthdays. It was a lot of fun. It's not my birthday. My birthday is April. And it passed. So I am 41 years old. Congratulations to everybody. Everybody's birthday this weekend as Speedy celebrated two of them at a bowling alley on what day, Speedy? Well, bowling alley was on Friday. The beach was on Saturday. Okay, so they celebrated the birthdays two days in the week. So congratulations to the family, to the Cloybers, a.k.a. Speedy Petey's family, for wonderful, wonderful, amazing birthdays that they shared this weekend. You like that, Speedy? Yes. It's good. Is. Are you feeling? Pat yourself on the back, Speedy. Pat yourself. There you go. Speedy Petey, ladies and gentlemen. At 9.30, we will be talking to former Dolphins and Giants cornerback Tony Lippett. 10 o'clock, we will be talking to nine-year MLB pitcher and current co-host of New York Sports Nation Nightly. Nelson Figueroa. So he will be joining us for the first time on this show. It's going to be wonderful. Yes, yes, Carl, we will get into the Jets and Hard Knocks as everybody is attacking the New York Jets as they have come out and said they're not going to be airing certain things on Hard Knocks, which pisses a lot of people off. But I'm going to tell you why it shouldn't. Saquon Barkley. And Josh Jacobs do not get a long-term deal from their teams. So we will get into That is a big story. When you look at Josh Jacobs and what Josh Jacobs did last year, one of the more dominant running backs in the league, and Saquon Barkley really controlling about 45 to 48% of the snaps for the New York Giants just in runs, not just catches as well. It's a huge loss if he doesn't start the season for the New York Giants. He could sit out for the first five games and still get paid all his money. And if he wants to screw the New York Giants, he could. I'm very interested to see what Saquon Barkley is going to do as the OTAs are about to start. The Jets today, I think the Giants are tomorrow, so... 
A lot of things are going to happen in the next couple of days. I'm very interested to see what Saquon is going to say to the public. Several running backs speak out on Twitter about running backs being underpaid and underappreciated. I, I, I agree with a lot of these running backs, by the way. I, I, I don't understand why ownership and really the way a lot of these GMs are thinking in the NFL, and it's a real turnoff when you talk about the running back position and what these running backs really take throughout the season, the body injuries, running through these defensive lines, 350-pound monsters, and they don't get paid when their contract's up, a.k.a. Saquon Barkley, a.k.a. Josh Jacobs. DeAndre Hopkins signs a Titans two-year contract worth about $26 million. So let me get this straight. You're going to pay DeAndre Hopkins, who barely played the last two seasons, and give him $26 million, and you don't want to pay Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs, arguably the two best running backs in the NFL. Congratulations! This is great, ladies and gentlemen. The Jets will waive Denzel Mims if they cannot trade him. Uh, the story came out today. Very interesting story. Why would they say that? I don't know. I don't see them trading him. I, I, I don't believe they're going to be able to trade him moving forward. MLB Network's John, hold on, Morosi, right? Morosi. Yeah. Morosi, I'm sorry. So you got to write with the French accent. <laughs> yeah. John Morosi reports that Angels will listen to trade offers for Shea Otani. So I uh, absolutely believe that Shea Otani could be traded. I don't think it's going to happen. It's going to take a lot. So we will get into that. Joel Embiid says, I just want to win a championship. And it might not be with Philly, with Harding wanting out. So... Joel Embiid is already speaking out that he does not want to play for Philly. I mean, I don't know what more to say about this Philadelphia 76ers. I, I mean, they're losing everybody. Now they're thinking about trading Maxi. James Harden wants to be traded. Now Joel Embiid wants out. What else is next? I, I have no idea. Hope you all enjoyed the process. Bracket Wars, best New York and New, Jer New Jersey team sports athletes of all time. The number seven seed tonight, Roger Clemens, versus the number two seed, Mike Piazza. That's a good one. And the number three seed, Lawrence Taylor, versus the number 14 seed, Scott Niedermeyer. So that will be interesting. So why don't we get into it? This Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs story is growing legs. It really is. And if... You're a Saquon Barkley fan, and you're a Giant fan. I'm sorry, you cannot be happy about this. The Giants, and I, I talked to Mikey C all week about this, and Mikey C is a big Giant fan, and he thinks that the Giants are right. He believes that Joe Shane is doing the right thing in not really offering him what he wants, the guaranteed money that he wants, and, and what has been heard that he wants $36 to $40 million guaranteed to get this deal done. But they're only offering him $19.5 million guaranteed. Saquon Barkley last year averaged about 48% of the snaps for the New York Giants all season long. 48. That's almost 50%. Last week I said it was like 68 or something, but I got the right percentage. 48%. And they don't want to give him the money. Saquon said he could consider sitting out for the entire season. 
Saquon tweeted, it is what it is, following the Giants' decision. Saquon and the Giants reportedly were less than $2 million apart in agreeing to a deal. $2 million. So you're telling me that the New York Giants couldn't offer Saquon Barkley $2 million more to get this deal done. (laughs) Despicable. Josh Jacobs and the Raiders also could not come to a term or an agreement for a long-term deal. NFL Network's Tom Pelissaro says that the Raiders and and Jacobs were very close, and Jacobs was in the parking lot of the Raiders' facility ready to sign. Jacobs' agent says he didn't want a deal that broke the record of running backs, but wanted something still respectable. Jacobs was seeking between 26 and $32 million guaranteed. Both running backs will now play on a franchise tag just over $10 million. If they even play. I believe both of them will play this year. But if Saquon really wants to stick it to the New York Giants, and Josh Jacobs really wants to stick it to Mr. McDaniels, and that Raiders team, I would sit out five games. I'd still get paid. It's still guaranteed. That franchise tag is still guaranteed as long as they get in and they play in the sixth game of the season. Which tells me that the New York Giants sitting back and not giving Saquon Barkley the money that he deserves. And I I do... Believe this. And I know everybody sits here. Jeff tells me all the time that running backs should not get paid. They're so expendable. You could draft a running back in the sixth round, the fifth round, the fourth round. They could be undrafted. We've seen how many running backs undrafted that play a big part in the, on their teams or in, in respectable teams in the NFL. I sit here today and I wonder... What Joe Shane was thinking when he said at the final hour, the final minutes, the final seconds of trying to make this deal right, you know what? <laughs> it's $2 million. I, I, I don't want to give him $2 million more because I don't think he's worth it. He's not worth the $2 million extra that we should be paying him. When you gave Daniel Jones... Daniel Jones, $40 million this offseason because of one good season. And I am a Daniel Jones supporter. I have always thought Daniel Jones was going to be a good quarterback in this league. How do you not give a player of Saquon Barkley's ability the kind of money that he absolutely deserves? You sit back, and, and I could go back and forth about who Saquon Barkley is, and, and really, in the last four seasons, how many full seasons has Saquon Barkley played? Two? But the two seasons he's played, he's been a top four, top three running back in the NFL. How could you not give him that kind of money when your team is going to be depending on the running back position Probably about 50% of the time this season. Who is going to be your running back if Saquon Barkley decides to sit for the first five games of the season? 
Do you think you're going to get enough production at that position to help you win? Because honestly, the Giants' schedule this year is so much harder than it was last year. They're going to be mixed with the AFC East this year. The hardest division in football. You got to play Miami. You got to play the Jets. You got to play the Patriots. And you have to play the Buffalo Bills. Miami and Buffalo back to back on the road, too. <laughs> and you don't have Saquon Barkley. I can't sit here and say, hey, you know what? You don't need Saquon Barkley. You're going to win because you got Darren Waller. Darren Waller hasn't played two full seasons in the last three. How could any of the Giant fans believe that Darren Waller is going to be their savior this year? And I don't want to hear about Hyatt. There's stories coming out from the organization that he's having problems catching the ball. I think he's a good pick. I think he was a steal in the third round. I saw what he did against Alabama this year. But that doesn't mean he's going to be a great NFL player. How many players were great college players, wide receivers, running backs, quarterbacks, they go to the NFL and they suck? Saquon Barkley is a great running back. Joe Shane, I understand he's trying to wheel and deal. He's trying to fix up the contracts that Gettleman just absolutely burned and burned his bridges with the New York Giants when he decided to retire or be fired. And then we sit here with Josh Jacobs. Are you kidding me? How could McDaniels, after ruining his relationship with Derek Carr, Darren Waller, with that whole organization, and the only reason why he still has a job right now is because Vegas would look stupid if they fired him in one year, a.k.a. the Denver Broncos. They'll wait another year. They'll still not make the playoffs. With all the additions that they made, it's not going to make a difference. They don't even know if Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be healthy in that beginning of the season. And you have the most dominant force at running back right now. He was the best running back all around in the NFL last year. It wasn't even close. It wasn't Derrick Henry. It wasn't Christian McCaffrey. It wasn't even Saquon Barkley. It was Josh Jacobs. And this guy wanted 26 to $32 million guarantee. What is he, 25, 26 years old? He's probably going to be able to play for at least five more years at the top of his game. Speed, power, can catch the ball in the backfield. He can block. And you decide, hey, you know what? We're just going to give you a franchise tag. You don't like it? Well, don't play. It's despicable. And by the way, we will get into this whole running back situation in just a few moments because I have a lot to say about the NFL and how they treat and these organizations treat the running back position. Because the running back position, these guys get the worst beatings throughout the game. It's not the offensive lineman. It's not the defensive lineman. It's not the quarterback. It's the running back. No, and it's not the wide receivers or tight ends either. (laughs) I'm sorry. If I look at both of these organizations, and we know, everybody knows, that they run their offense between 
both these guys. How could you not figure out how to make a deal where both these guys are happy? They're going into the season. They're going into OTAs. They're going into preseason. Happy that they got the contracts that they wanted. Happy that they got the guaranteed money that they should get. But no, Joe Shane, Josh McDaniels likes to play with them to play with themselves. I'm sorry. I'm spitting up my words. Well, Josh McDaniels is spitting a bunch of other things because his ego is taking over once again and it's really hurt a lot of these player relationships. You never want your ego to be able to be that beneficial to a player. We saw that happen with the Jacksonville Jaguars when Urban Meyer went there. He brought his college prowess to Jacksonville. <laughs> it doesn't work with grown men. And the same kind of thing with Josh McDaniels who just wants everything his way. He tries to bring the Patriots way somewhere else. We've never seen it work besides maybe Brian Flores is probably the only one that's been good uh, from Bill Belichick's disciples and Mike Vrabel, I guess you could say, but he was more of a player, not really a coach. But even so, it's really disgruntled Josh Jacobs to the point. Obviously disgruntled Derek Carr and Darren Waller and that's going to be a ha- have a hard time when the Raiders aren't really well built everywhere else either. They have some good receivers. They have a good pass rush, but the rest of their team is not that good right now. Now you have a disgruntled Josh Jacobs. As for the Giants, if you're going to announce in November that you're going to prioritize signing Dexter Lawrence and Daniel Jones all right, do it. Have a better plan B than trying to trade Saquon Barkley for nothing or lowball him for $19.5 million guaranteed, which he deserves a lot more than that when he was like you were saying, almost two-thirds of your offense both rushing and receiving so now you gotta hope, Giants, that Darren Waller, Jalen Hyatt, and maybe Isaiah Hodgins can combine for that level of production. Like, you're going to get hope to get that in a larger sample. That's what you have to bank on if you're the, if you're the Giants. Uh, Carl says Jacobs to the Bears. That's definitely a possibility. I could see that, which is ironic because that was Khalil Mack's pick, the draft pick. Uh, when teams are geared more to spinning carries and duties, they won't pay in premier dollars. Right. You can get away with that to an extent, Carl, but you need the right coach. John says one team that lets running backs walk or pick up a veteran for cheap and no one bats an eye is the Patriots. Yes. They do. Carl says, I get the argument for Jacobs and Saquon, who tote the rock more than others. Uh, the Royd Bowl, yes, Carl. The Chiefs cannot afford Dalvin Cook, Carl. They're right now like barely over a million over the salary or the uh, salary cap right now. They don't need Dalvin Cook. No, no, they got Pacheco, they got McKinnon. I think they're fine with the running back right now. Uh, Jeff says both guys will play the most games. Either of them will sit out as 10. Carl says probably because they're making the counterpoint to yours. He's been hurt the last two years. Uh, John says if you, don't, if, if you don't get what he wants next year, watch him go to the Bears. Mm-hmm. Yep, very possible. They've been linked to a lot of running backs this offseason. Carl says so they don't want to give guaranteed money to a guy who has shown a 50-50 chance of being out. Who knows stories are coming out of Jets camps? Just ask HBO. All right, stop with this Jets thing. I'm serious. We'll get into hard knocks a little bit later in the show because I know a lot of Jet fans are sitting here. Some of them love what the Jets said, and some of the Jet fans don't like what the Jets are saying when it comes to hard knocks, which is going to be airing August 8th at 10 p.m. on HBO as they come out and said that they will not show people being dropped from the team. They do not want to show that. They don't want to throw any of the players under the bus that work their asses off, and they've worked so hard to get to the NFL and then just be underappreciated on live TV and look like they're uh, being mistreated by the organization. They do not want to do that. They don't want to look like the bad guys like they did in 2010 and like a lot of these teams have done on hard knocks. Several running backs were... Very vocal on Twitter after big names like Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs didn't get a long-term deal. Jonathan Taylor tweeted, If you're good enough, they'll find you. If you work hard enough, you'll succeed. If you succeed, 
you boost the organization. And then it doesn't matter. You're a running back. Derrick Henry tweeted, just take the running back position out of the game then. Christian McCaffrey tweeted, this is criminal. Three of the best players in the entire league, regardless of the position. Austin Eckler tweeted, this is the kind of trash that has artificially devalued one of the most important positions in the game. Najee Harris tweeted, I agree with my running back brothers around the NFL. History will show that you need running backs to win. Christian McCaffrey has the biggest running back contract in the NFL, averaging $16 million per year. Only one player, Alvin Kamara, is making over $13 million. By the way, Alvin Kamara won't be playing the first four or six games because he's assaulting people off the field. How wonderful. This is great. How could the NFL devalue? How could these teams devalue one of the most important positions in professional football? It, it, to me, it is the most important position in the playoffs. You need the running back to run out the clock. You need the running back to cl- control the line of scrimmage. And when you talk about Christian McCaffrey, you talk about, obviously, Austin Eckler, Najee Harris, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, Derrick Henry... I believe they're devalued. I cannot sit here today and say that any of these organizations are right the way they treat their running backs, their star running backs, and they're probably their best players. Right now, on the Indianapolis Colts, Jonathan Taylor is the best player on the Colts. Christian McCaffrey, you can argue, is the best player On the 49ers, maybe second or third. Austin Eckler is definitely the best player right now on the Chargers. Najee Harris, he's their best offensive player. Saquon Barkley is the Giants' best player. Josh Jacobs is either their best or their second best player. Yeah, him or Devontae Adams. (laughs) And none of these guys like what their respectable teams are doing to them when it becomes a contract dispute or trying to get guaranteed money from those organizations. Carl says, have Saquon sit out and then he could join the Mets bullpen. I don't know if he would want to do that either. That might, that might weaken his value. Uh, that is fine not to show the cuts, but embrace the rest. Uh, I would take Herbert over Eckler, Carl says. I, uh, John, you can argue that. You, you could. And uh, John Sugg says, I wonder if Cook would go to the Panthers and this new look team. I doubt it. They weren't one of the teams linked. Uh, Jeff says, running back by committee is what works. Look at the last two 10 Super Bowl winners. Only one at a running back making $10 million. Speaking of Jeff, he is on. Jeff, you have five minutes before our guest. Great. I, I just want to make a point because I find some of Earl's yelling a little silly. Okay. There we go. The Chiefs, the Chiefs last year, mm. their leading rusher, Isaiah Pacheco, 870,000. Mm-hmm. 2021, the Rams, Cam Akers, 890,000. The Bucks the previous year, Leonard Fournette, 2 million. The, the Chiefs the year before that, Damian Williams, 1 million. The Patriots the year before that, Sony Michelle, 480,000. 
the list goes on and on. 900,000, 760,000, 585,000, 730, two and a half million, two million, one and a half million, 320,000, and then 460,000. It would seem as though the Super Bowl winner doesn't have a high paid running back and they use that money and that, elsewhere. And that means Hold it's on. right for what they're doing? Does that mean that it's right for mistreating the running back position when they control Every, when they control it? Half of these running backs that I mentioned control probably about fifty percent of the snaps for their teams. They're yeah, getting beaten yeah, up. They're at the age of twenty six, twenty seven. Their bodies are breaking down, and you don't want to give them guaranteed money when they're at the top of their games. Come on, Jeff, stop every, it! Every, every every team has the right to build their team yeah. however they want. They have the yeah. right. No, yeah, they do have the right. They can build their team however yeah. they want. If they don't, and if they don't see fit to spend money there, that's on that team. But it would seem as though it's a successful model for winning because they're spending money in other positions that really matter. Look at the salary for cornerbacks. It's shot way up. Corners, not quarterbacks, right? Cornerbacks, it's shot way up. Offensive linemen, it's shot way up. Even guards, like Joe Tooney just got a record for a contract for, like, guards. They're putting money in positions that matter more, getting better people at that uh, at those positions. And if that's how they feel, see fit to build their team, then so be it. I hope everyone gets as much money as they want to get. But the free market would tell you the position is devalued. It might be devalued, and and we've been arguing that it. We believe it's devalued. But to me, the position is just as important as a top cornerback. It's just as important as a top wide receiver. It's just as important as an important quarterback. Because if your running back is as dominant as the running backs that we mentioned, and they control the line of scrimmage, those teams more than likely are going to have prolific offenses. Christian McCaffrey is one of the best running backs in the league. You just said it yourself. This is going to be a great year because the 49ers are going to have Christian McCaffrey for 17, 18 games this season. We're going to see how good and how great Christian McCaffrey is going to be on a good team. Well, let's stick with that argument, though, right? Mm -hmm. They got Christian McCaffrey, who is a great running back. Who's making $16 a year. Hold on. Hold on, dude. Slow down. You just keep wanting to yell for no reason. Dude, they had a a successful campaign at running back – even before that with Jeff Wilson, why and why did they have that? They have the best left tackle in football in Trent Williams. They have already they got Mike McGlinchey. They have a great offensive line. And to be honest with you, let the, like be honest about this now. Because yeah. we talked about it with Zeke. Zeke, when he was making no money and all that money was on the offensive line, and he looked really good. And then when Zeke got paid and they couldn't afford offensive linemen, what's happened? They they don't he don't look so good no more. So would you rather spend money on quality offensive linemen or at running back? Because I would argue if you have a great offensive line, anyone can run by. Jeff, let me anyone. ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time San Francisco won a Super Bowl? Uh, it's been a while. Yeah, I, they beat the, they exactly. the Ravens. Mm. So right. Yeah, but that that's not even it's it's been proven over time, right? Because you're going, oh, when was the last time they won? Well, the Chiefs had a great offensive line. Orlando Brown, Joe Tooney. They just won last year. Mm. Now, let me ask you a question. Remember the AFC title game this year? Uh, Bengals, Chiefs, yes. Mm -hmm. Do you remember how important Pacheco was to the Chiefs winning that game? He was fairly important, but it was more important that it was also Clyde Edwards-Elair, Damian Williams, and Pacheco, running back by committee. Just like what the Eagles had. The Eagles had Miles Sanders and, and all those other clowns running, but, but, you know, all those other dudes running back by committee. 
Jeff, some teams have three great running backs. Some teams have two great running backs. Some teams only have one good running back. And really, when you look at a lot of these running backs, Saquon Barkley, who's his backup? Let's be honest. Who's their backup? Matt Breida. My, okay, Matt Breida, who can't stay healthy. Oh, oh yeah, he, he's Saquon Barkley good. Unbelievable. How about this? No, I, no, who, one, said, no one said he was Saquon uh, Hold on. Good, Derrick Henry. Who's backing Derrick Henry up? Tyze Spears, the kid that just drafted him. Mm. And we don't even know what he's going to be. Okay? So there's there's another one. Like Let's like Josh Jacobs. Yeah, you like him, but you don't know what he's going to do in the NFL. Josh no, Jacobs. he's also smaller, but I do like the fact that That's he's fine. Back USC, because I think USC fans are like Cowboy fans. They're the most annoying <laughs> people on the planet. <laughs> Josh Jacobs. Who, who's backing him up this year? Brandon Bolden, I believe. <laughs> he was like 30. Come on. I, yes. To me, you, you need... A good running back. You need a dominant force behind the line of scrimmage. And if you don't have that, you're going to have problems. And then the quarterback's going to be pressured. Daniel Jones, if he doesn't have Saquon Barkley this year, his numbers are going to dip. He is not going to be as good as he was last year. Right, but some of this is all scheme, though, right? Because I'll just use the Patriots as an example, and I'll give you a guy. Everyone goes, oh, he's really good. He's a good one. Shane Vereen, okay? Oh, Shane Vereen, he's really good. Oh, he deserves a contract. What happened? The Giants paid him. Speedy, tell the end of the story. He was coached by Ben McAdoo. <laughs> and, and was also terrible. So, like, some of it is where you are. Like, that's just part of the deal. And some of these some of these teams can just discard running backs, no problem. Uh, uh, another example, Damien Harris. How long have you been telling me you like Damien Harris? I like Damien him. Harris, I like right? him. And the Patriots were like, thanks for... But the Patriots years. have Stevenson. Yeah. They don't need him. They have Stevenson, who's going to be touching probably forty percent of the snaps. But but they've done that the entire time. They told but the, the, the Patriots are different. They're different. They're, they're For, not different because the Chiefs have been doing it now too. Damien Harris is not Josh Jacobs. He's not. He's not Saquon Barkley. Stop. He's not. Right, but it, right, but it would also tell you you don't need one of those guys to win a Super Bowl. I disagree. I disagree. And if Saquon Barkley, well, you, if Saquon right, Barkley was playing list, for the Buffalo the Bills right now, they'd be the favorite. All right, let's let's go back to the list then, because this will be fun. Mm. Right? Mm. Here's the list. Yeah, let's go because Isaiah, we have a guest Isaiah, waiting Isaiah, for us. Guys. Isaiah Pacheco is he Saquon Barkley? Nope, Super Bowl winner. Cam Akers is he Saquon Barkley? Nope, Super Bowl winner. Mm. Leonard Fournette he's pretty good, but still not Saquon Barkley. Mm. How about Damian Williams? Nope, Sony Michelle terrible. But he's all not those sure. teams, all those teams that you mentioned. Had franchise quarterbacks and top defenses. I mean, did they? Yeah. I mean, did they? Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, na- right, name, so a, money, name a team that so didn't. Money spent, right. So hold on. You can't get a top defense unless you spend money. And if you're spending money there, you have to. No matter what I else. say, you're going to attack anything I say when it comes to the running back position because the running back position is more important than you're making it out to be. No, it's dude, it's where they want to spend money, and you can't have a top. You can't just pay everyone. There's a salary cap. I understand and that. And if you, and You're if you telling me, defense, did you not? Did you not see the story? All they had to do is pay him two million dollars more, and they would have agreed to it. Two million dollars. You're telling me that you're going to hold back on two million dollars when you have one of the richest owners in professional football? Right, but it's a difference between uh, ten and twelve million dollars a year. And it's also going to a guy in Saquon Barkley. Let's face it, because you've said this a thousand times too. Does he even stay on the field? He does not. Well, 
I he stayed on the field last year, and he was a big important part of why okay, they made the playoffs. Year, okay, so so and won the first what, round was, against was, Minnesota. Right? Was last year his fourth year in the league? Last year was, was his fourth, fifth, fifth year. Fifth it was year. his fifth, fifth, fifth year. Last year was his fifth year in the league. Okay. Mm-hmm. So five years in the league. How many times has he played a full season? I think twice. Twice. Why would you pay that guy? Think about that. You have a 60% chance of the guy not finishing a season. Why would you give him $12 million? Hmm. Anyways, Jeff, we have to go. Call back a little oh, hey, later. Simple math. That's not Goodbye, Jeff. Goodbye, rap. Jeff. Jesus, man. He doesn't shut up. I, no matter what I say, he will argue his points until he's dead in the face. That's Jeff, ladies and gentlemen. Round of applause for Jeff from Tampa. When we come back, we will be talking to former Dolphins and Giants cornerback Tony Lippett here on the Sports Lab Mounts. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loud Mounts. 631-672-3108 is the number to call. You are listening to the Sports Loudmouths, and you were just listening to Jeff from Tampa just blowing my eardrums out of my head, okay? I just horrible. But thank you, Jeff, for pissing me off even more. We have our guest. Uh, before we introduce him, remember you can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Sports Loudmouths, which airs every single Wednesdays at 9 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. only on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we haven't had him on for a year. I remember last time we had him on the show, we went back and forth with the Lakers. We had our arguments with Kobe Bryant and where he is uh, as far as the greats. But we're not going to get into that tonight. We're going to get into some football conversation as we are now talking to former Dolphins, Giants cornerback, Tony Lippett. Tony, what's up, man? What's happening? What's happening? How y'all doing today? We're good, man. You look good. I uh, appreciate it, man. I just caught the back end of y'all conversation right there. <laughs> Jeff didn't turn you up, huh? Oh, man. You want to know something? <laughs> I understand he makes quality good points, but... How could you devalue a very important position? And I, I'm sorry. When you look at these NFL teams and these NFL organizations, I understand some teams don't have a big-time number one. But when you have guys like Saquon Barkley and Christian McCaffrey and Derrick Henry and all these guys, Eckler, who didn't get his contract this offseason, he, he, he signed his franchise tag, to me it's despicable. You cannot replace guys that talented. I don't know, man, Tony. I, I might not be an ex-NFL player. I'm, I'm as big as one, but I I'm, I'm probably can't run a 40, probably no faster than 5.8. But I think I know a little bit about football. I don't know. Am I right or wrong here? Um. So, so you basically saying that they should have paid. Just, 100%. They should have gave him exactly what they wanted? Like, what do you you think they should have gave him exactly what they wanted? Well, Saquon Barkley was $2 million from getting the money that he wanted. You don't think they should have paid Saquon Barkley $2 million more? Uh, Yeah, I think they should have took uh, $15 million from Daniel Jones and <laughs> gave it to Saquon to keep Saquon. I think that would have been a better idea. But um, I can see both of y'all guys' sides from what Jeff was saying. I can see your side as well. I understand that the, the running back position is a is – def- you definitely need a good running back back there. You need. I don't know if you need a, a the best running back on your team to win championships because a lot of teams we see like this is kind of a passing league. This is an air league. You got twenty 
pretty good quarterbacks in the NFL now. It's probably like the deepest, the deepest NFL we had at mm-hmm. quarterback that could like actually, you know, throw the ball all over the field in the running back position. Like you can kind of win with any type of running back. I'm not saying you need a Saquon or you need a, you know, um, Le'Veon Bell or you need an Ezekiel Elliott. But like I said, I can see both sides. I can see both ways. So, yeah. Christian McCaffrey, when he was healthy with the Carolina Panthers. Yeah. What did what was his percentage of touching the ball every time or every other time? Oh, no. He was touching the ball damn near every play. Yeah. And why why are the 49ers paying him 16 million a year? Um I mean, he's he's one of the best playmakers in the game. He's a dynamic guy, dynamic playmaker, but he went to a he went to an amazing situation. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not, I'm not a nothing, taking nothing away from Christian McCaffrey. They they went to the Super Bowl without Christian McCaffrey. Mm-hmm. They had Moster. I like Jeff. Wilson. But did they win? Did they win without no, Christian McCaffrey? But who 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 the Chiefs won? Who was they running back? Damian Williams. <laughs> but that's there's a difference here, and I understand what you're saying. And everybody yeah. says, well, the Chiefs, the Chiefs won. And if you go back at the Patriots and when they won, they had Tom Brady and had all these different running backs. I understand, and I know that's how everybody is going to predict and try to compare all the all those teams that won Super Bowls. Patrick Mahomes is a different breed. Okay, right. he is a different breed. So to say, hey, you know what? Pacheco was running, he was running the ball for them last year, and they, they, for years, they have had different running backs for Patrick Mahomes. So, that's great. Tom Brady had different running backs. That's Tom Brady. Some people say the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. When you look at teams, successful teams, even when uh, the San Francisco 49ers made it to the Super Bowl with Kaepernick, they had good running back. They had a good running back. Frank Gore is one of the greatest running backs of all time. If you go through the teams that don't have elite top five prospected gold uh, quarterbacks, and I'm, 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 I, my argument here is you need a running back. You need a prolific style running back that can beat you know, defensive lines like Frank Gore, like Christian McCaffrey, like Derrick Henry, like Saquon Barkley, those type of beasts that will tire defenses down. Am I right or wrong, Tony? No, you're right. You're right. I definitely give you that. I give you. Um, I would say, if I was the Giants, I would pay Saquon Barkley because he. I, if you if you watched the Giants last year, he was their team. Mm-hmm. Like I like what Daniel Jones was doing, but if if you don't have Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones is not going to be able to run the ball like how he run off the veer and fake it and all the defense attention to Saquon and he run for seventy yards down the field. That's not going to happen without Saquon in the backfield. He's not going to have these rushing yards period, if Saquon Barkley is not attracting the... Like, when, when you talk about the Giants last year, the first... Every team, hey, well, oh, on Sunday or Monday, okay, this is this is, this is who we got to stop. It's Saquon Barkley. And then it's the rest of the Giants. So, the, the... the What he brings to that team, I think he brings... He helps Daniel Jones. Like, if he's not on that field this year... I don't know if Daniel, Daniel Jones don't do what he did last year. Not a and, chance. And he didn't even do amazing last year. You know what I'm saying? Like, he didn't play amazing. They just had, like, a good team. They had some weapons. Um, things bounced their way last year. But uh, if I was the Giants, I would play Saquon. Now, Josh Jacobs, I like him. But the Ravens, I mean, the Raiders got a lot a lot of things going on there. I, would, I don't even know if I would want to, like, sign to I would if I was Josh Jacobs for sure because they're going to give him the most money. But, um. I think he's one of them dynamic guys too. I think he goes so he can go somewhere else 
and make some things happen. But the Raiders is kind of organizations. They don't really know who they want to pay. They got a quarterback. They got. They just paid uh, another receiver. Yeah, Devontae. an overpaid Devonte Adams. That's what they. Yeah, they don't have a quarterback throwing them the ball now. They don't have anybody. Oh, Jimmy Garoppolo, who do, they don't even know is going to make the team. The guy's not healthy. It's ridiculous, Tony. This is ridiculous. I don't want to hear about the NFL and how these owners are smart and these GMs know more than we do. They're a bunch of idiots. They're a bunch of. Idiots. I don't want to even tell you on live air what I really think about them because then they probably beat, 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 beat me out. Jesus, no, man. Man, they, they, it's kind of tough, man. It's kind of tough because this, this I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you this question. Mm-hmm. If you could have the best running back in the league or the best wide receiver in the league mm-hmm. would you t- on your team? Depends on the running back. It depends on the wide receiver. The best. The best running I think, back. I, th- I think it's Jefferson, and like if you want to go, go on raw skill, probably McCaffrey. But if you want to go on dominance, probably Derrick Henry. But I would take Jefferson in that case. But I also think you'd need more receivers, though, too, Tony. Like, I would you can't take, just have Justin Jefferson and like a big fall. Out. If you have a number one receiver, mm-hmm. you have a legit number one receiver. Mm-hmm. Then the, the other two guys, they can they can do what they do. But if you have a legit number one receiver. That opens the whole defense up. Now you got you can't play single high all the time. You Does it? What what happened to Minnesota last year in the playoffs against the Giants with yeah, a number one wide receiver? Their defense is really bad. Oh no no don't 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 no 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 don't try no, to change no, no. don't cha- don't change this now. You said the best you would take the best wide receiver. They shut down the best wide receiver. They don't even have the best secondary in football. They were one of the worst. So please. Oh and by the way. Dalvin Cook didn't touch the ball enough in that game. And if he did, they beat the Giants. Please. Dalvin, Come on, Dalvin, Tony. Dalvin Cook is a good running back. Right? A good run, great running back. They don't want to pay him. But it, it's like, I, I would say, it's, it's, a few, it's a few positions that I would take over the best running back. I would take an offensive lineman. I would take a, the best tight end over the best running back. I would take the best DB, the best DN. It's a, it's a few positions that I would mm. take. Over the best running back, you feel me? Because oh, feel I'm not like arguing a, that. A, a B minus running back can do just as well as an A plus running back. I, mean, I disagree, and and you cannot. De- I I wouldn't devalue the running back position if you have a top number one running back. Why would you draft Saquon Barkley at number two and you don't want to pay him when he's up for a contract? You drafted him the second pick. You all agreed. I know Gettleman was the guy that drafted him, but every single every single, the ownership. From yeah. Tish to Mara, they all wanted Saquon Barkley. And now when he's up for a contract, you know what? We don't want you anymore, man. You could go to Buffalo. You could go, hey, we'll send you to Carolina. You know what? We'll send you to the world. We'll send you to the Texans. That's where you're going next year. Good luck for you, man. Now, you could get your $9 million there. Nobody wants you. Okay, okay, come on, man. It, it, to me, I just think it's ridiculous. And I, I, I'm sorry. I, I've, I've stuck up for a lot of players. And we have a lot of players that come on this show. But, but you cannot devalue a position because, hey, you can plug and play. That's not true. And that, that is, to me, it's defalsing the position at running back. Then don't have a running back anymore. Honestly, it, do what Derrick Henry said. Don't have a running back anymore. Don't have a fullback. Just have it all wide. Have the running backs playing wide receiver. Have and then league, pay him wide receiver money. Have a league, of, head. All, have a league of all Debo Samuels. <laughs> Stupid. It's dumb. They, they, can, they can't play wide receiver. I don't know, man. I Dalvin Cook could play wide receiver. Christian McCaffrey could play wide receiver. Austin Eckler can. Austin Eckler could play wide receiver. Saquon Barkley had caught a couple. I think he had five touchdowns catching the ball this year from the Giants. 
they can't line up at wide receiver and go against the the the, the, the some of the best athletes on the field. They mm. can't line up at wide receiver. Maybe slot receiver. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. And and you you played the cornerback position. Mm-hmm. How many elite corners are there in the NFL? There's there's elite. Mm-hmm. Shutdown um, corners. How many shutdown? How many corners? shutdown corners are in the I NFL right now? Hey, okay, we got you. Say Ramsey. Uh, Sauce, uh, Sertain, mm-hmm. Slay, mm-hmm. Uh, I like Lattimore, Alexander from Green Bay. Mm-hmm. I like, yes. he, he a lockdown. Xavier Howard, first of all, ain't no wide receiver getting open. I mean, ain't no running back getting open on none of them I just named. I don't know, because I saw Saquon Barkley, as soon as they moved him in the slot last year, nobody at the slot could stop him. Nobody. Yeah, because it was a linebacker. That's one. No, 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 no. There was a corner. They were they were sticking corners on him. They couldn't they couldn't beat him on the outside. He he. If you line Saquon up at wide receiver for a game, Mm -hmm. he will probably have two catches, if that. Mm -hmm. If you line him up at wide, you want to make a bet on that, Tony boy? Come on, Tony. You want to make a you want to make a bet? Let's make a bet, my friend. We'll do it this year, okay? We'll do it this year. Corners is, man. Corners are deep, man. Like, and I didn't even bring up digs uh, over there in Dallas. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, overrated. You think he overrated? I think he's overrated. I mean, he, he made some plays to the point where like he probably about to get paid. He made some plays. People would think he locked down. I don't think he's the the best. You feel? Me? I think I got what you're saying. I, I, I got. I got there's what some people that will argue that you know he's a lockdown corner, and I would be like, okay, you got it. You know, multiple picks in a year, pick sixes. Um, guard some of the top receivers last year so i mean the running back position man it's it's, it's kind of steep man like i said if i was if i was the giants i would pay saquon because i think he completes their team especially this year i, I see you see him working hard you see him doing his thing i think he is another year in that offense with uh Debo. um daniel jones said they got a couple more uh weapons on the outside defense getting solidified if they miss him they're going to miss a big chunk of their offense, and you don't want that. So so I want to ask you, as a as a corner, uh, the uh, former corner made some interesting comments last week in mm. Asante Samuel uh, about mm-hmm. uh, two Jets corners and about Bill Belichick. What an idiot. He, 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 Tom Brady carried him. So what were your thoughts on those comments? Um, uh, what you saw what he said about Revis or about – Revis and Sauce and then Bill Belichick. He was taking shots at so. Oh, man, he—he, he, I've always seen him on Twitter going at Bill Belichick. He got something against Bill Belichick. Um, I remember watching uh, Asante Samuel. I think he was a, a good corner for what he did. You know, he made plays on the ball. Like, I think he can definitely talk the way he talked. I mean, he's one of them. I think he should be in all the fame. He made a lot of plays at corner. Um, Revis is just different, man. You know, Revis is up in your face, and I'm going to lock you down. But Could you compare Asante Samuel to Darrell Revis? No, I'm not comparing. Oh, no, no, no. I'm asking you. Would you compare Asante's big mouth to Darrell Revis, the first ballot Hall of Famer? Only four guys in NFL history with him has ever been a first ballot Hall of Famer at his position. I'm not going to compare them, but I'm not going to say, like, Asante Samuel should shut his mouth because I think he made enough plays to be able to talk. Like, we didn't see Asante Samuel... Locking guys up. It might not be right in your face and right here and right there, but I didn't see him jumping routes. Like, it's a certain intellect you got to have out there to be doing the things he did as well. And he did those things, no matter if he was up, pressed, off, no matter who it was against, no matter if it was when he was with uh, Philly 
or in New England, or even with the Falcons the last couple of years. He was still catching pick sixes. Like, that's just who he was. So I'm not mad at what he was doing. Chambelli played off. Chambelli was one of those guys that can be off and driving routes and picking pick sixes, all that. So He's a first like, ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. So I'm, I'm not going to say, gonna say um, you know, he don't have no – like he don't make sense or he can't say what he say because he he done made plays in NFL as well and um did it at a high level. We but are talking we are we, we are talking to former Dolphins and Giants cornerback Tony Lippett. So I, I wanted to ask you as well, like someone who played with Saquon, uh, going back to that as well, like were there any instincts or were there any signs that he was disgruntled with the Giants organization even back then when you were playing? Um no nah, man, like, like when I got there, he was making plays, man. I was one of the most athletic guys I seen, like even in practice. In the game, like the way he ran routes, you know, the way he caught the ball, like it was just like, bro, you, you can really catch like all type of catches and wild stuff, and you know, like he was just one of them athletes. Like he's a rare athlete. Like you don't see too many guys. That's why I'm like, okay, they should pay him. You feel me? Like because he's one of them rare guys that can do what they do in the backfield, out of the backfield, carry offenses. Like he carried the Giants' offense last year. If you watched the Giants' game, he literally carried them. So um. I would say he's one of the most, you know, impressive athletes I've ever seen in person. And especially getting to see him in practice day to day is like, okay, he really do this, you know, even in practice. So I was amazed at that. Tony, you look at hard knocks and a lot of people are attacking the New York Jets because they came out and said they don't want to show anybody being dropped from the team at any point of hard knocks. They don't really want the cameras in certain areas for hard knocks. And do you like that the NFL has choosing uh, – do you like how the NFL chooses who they want on hard knocks? And the fact that some of these teams, like the Kansas City Chiefs, have never been on hard knocks doesn't make any sense. Uh, there are quite a few teams. The Pittsburgh Steelers have never been on hard knocks. Why aren't these top-end teams or these top organizations not being picked to be on hard knocks? And the teams like the Jets, the Lions, the Cowboys, the Rams, all these other teams are getting – all the opportunities to be on Hard Knocks. Um, I, I, I never knew that the Chiefs or the P- Pittsburgh never had a Hard Knocks. Never. No. I would I would say probably, I don't know, but it's like you kind of know what you kind of going to get from those teams, Pittsburgh and the Steelers, but with the Jets and the Lions and, you know, whoever else they didn't have previous years, it's going to be parity there. You know, the NFL likes parity. They like, you know, and it was hard to, like, pass up on, the Jets, knowing Aaron Rodgers just switched a team where he'd been on one team his whole career, and he, now he's in New York with the Jets. It was kind of hard for them to even say, like, oh, we don't want that. We don't want, you know, hard knocks at our in our facilities and things like that. Like, I don't think they really had a choice for that. Like, it didn't even matter. And let me tell you something. And, and John Suggs over here says, he says, rules is that you cannot be in the playoffs for five years uh, in, in the last five years. That's fine. Those are great rules. Uh, the NFL shouldn't have rules. If there are teams like the Rams that are being picked, how many times have they been on hard knocks? Twice. The Jets have been on t- twice. All these teams. There should not be any rules. If one team is picked, there should be five teams picked out of a hat. It doesn't matter if you're in the playoffs or not in the playoffs. Five teams should be picked out of a hat. And if you're one of those five teams, you get picked you know, you, you get a voting. All the executives pick, and whoever gets picked is on hard knocks. It, it Just because the Jets haven't been in the playoffs for five years, all these teams, you have to... So you're telling me if the Jets... Let, let's say... I'm just saying this. The Jets don't make the playoffs this year, okay? 
and everybody else that hasn't hasn't made the playoffs in five years, they make the playoffs this year. You're going to tell me that the Jets are going to be on hard knocks again next year? Come on, guys. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. It no, doesn't make sense. I didn't, I didn't. So you, so if you went to the playoffs within the last five years, you can't go. Like they, they won't even put your name in the in the hat. No, they're saying he's saying I, I didn't read the rules, but he says rules state that you cannot be in the playoffs for the last five years. Oh, that's weak. It, that that's why it's the rotation of the same few teams because there's teams that consistently don't make the playoffs. He says now it's two years. He went from five years to two years. Yeah, I was going to say Arizona was just on it last year, and they were in the playoffs. So <laughs> Two years. Whatever, yeah. John. Well, put the right number, then, if you're going to tell us their rules. I think Arizona was like the first in-season hard knocks or something right. like that. Yeah, but, but they just previously made the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, like when, I, when, I, when they bring up the whole thing of, um, you know, the Jets were saying they didn't want to be on hard knocks, I was just like, bro, it's going to be hard for them not to be on there because Aaron Rodgers is on the team. There's – controversy with the coach they got um it's new york they got one of the top corners on there and he be talking so they they want to be inside like they want to bring people inside to you know see these guys personalities and see these guys things. and with the whole cutting situation i think i think it changed to where they don't do like the the cut to 75 after like the first preseason game and then cut to mm-hmm. oh 60 something after the second preseason game i think you keep the whole 90 through the whole preseason now and then you cut them at the end so i think it's gonna be 90 guys through the entire preseason which is good it's gonna keep a lot of guys healthy so because i remember being in practice by the second week it's 90 guys then you got 60 guys it's like damn that's 30 guys less now you got to do more reps more practice the practice don't change the reps don't change so it's like it's good that's gonna be 90 guys there Throughout the whole time, more reps for everybody, more reps for the guys that probably don't get it within the first couple weeks. Because sometimes you don't even get no reps at all in practice until the preseason game. So it's going to be good for them. But they couldn't pass up on the Jets for sure, especially Aaron Rodgers. Man. It just wasn't going to happen. So uh, our, our our guy John also mentioned Odell Beckham in the comment section, who played with for a year in with the Giants. Mm-hmm. So what was he like? And also, do you think he can ever get back to that form now with all the injuries he's had as well? Um, yeah. Oh, man, Odell was cool, man. Locker room, loved him, dog. He was, he was, he was a great dude, man. One, like I said, he was definitely one of the best athletes I've seen, too, in practice and everything. Like, he went hard in practice. You can tell, like, like, you can tell, like, some people, they just great because of how they practice. You feel me? There's some guys that don't practice all the time. There's some guys that only, you know, cut it on during the game and things like that. But he's one of those guys that be out there on the Wednesday, you know, running deep routes, you know, sweating, getting tired. But, um, I definitely think he's one of those guys that can bounce back. I mean, we've seen it with the Rams. How, you know, he had a quarterback to where they can deliver him the ball. They made him a, um, a target. They made him one of the guys that we're going to throw you the ball and get you the ball. And I think this situation and the, with the Ravens, I think this is probably the Ravens' deepest wide receiver room. I mean, you got your quarterback back. Uh, he's, he's good. You got the, the, the running backs on the team. You got your offensive line. So this is probably one of the deepest offenses we have, especially a lot of different weapons, like a lot of different weapons to where you can make things happen. So it ain't just going to be all on Odell or all on Lamar. I think he can get back to being a thousand yard, you know, receiver. If if Odell plays 15 games this year, I think he goes 1,100 yards, 1,200 yards, probably about six, seven touchdowns. And then I think he's one of those guys that's going to get, you know, get better. He ain't going to get back to New York. Uh, Odell, because that was different. That was one of the 
that was a different breed if you mm-hmm. watched the first three years of him in New York. That, That's Jefferson now. <laughs> yeah. it, it was even more dynamic than Jefferson. Really? Yeah. You think so? I, Jefferson uh, Jefferson is my guy right now. I, I love how Jefferson played. But the way Odell was playing in New York for them first three years, taking slants. They both they both came from LSU. So. Oh, man. They get, it's, it's, it's something down there in Baton Rouge. But, um, <laughs> Jamar Chase. So. I think he can get back to that 1,100-yard, you know. It's a new offense. It's fresh. He's going to be feeling good. He got other weapons around him. Mark Andrews, likely. Zay Flowers, Aguilar, DuVernay, number 13. I forgot his, uh, I forgot his name, but he another weapon. Rashad Bateman. Yeah. But he, he liked him last year, so it's like I definitely think he can get back to that point. As everybody knows, we are talking to former Dolphins and Giants cornerback Tony Lippett. Uh, last question for me, Tony. You look at the league as a whole right now. We were just talking about the running back position, the quarterback position. What is, to you, the most important position you build your team around, besides quarterback, in the NFL to today? The most important position you would build your team around besides quarterback. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could go easily and say the guy to protect the quarterback. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can get you a Trent Williams or, you know, one of the top offensive tackles in the game. I think that's easy to say, but that's kind of like backing up the quarterback. But I'm going to put that to the side, too. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go a different one. Um, I'm going to say – I'm going to say DN because mm-hmm. I think a DN can wreck a game. Of course. Like, they can literally wreck And that's like, where I would go to, by the way. Yeah, you can – like, a D-tackle is cool. Like, an Aaron Donald is cool. But I'll take a Von Miller over Aaron Donald. Or I'll take a, you know, a, a T.J. Watt. How about, how about Micah Parsons? How's that? <laughs> he can line up anywhere. Like, yeah. they can wreck games. They can literally wreck games and line up anywhere on the D-line and literally wreck games. So, I'll take a D-in for sure. All right, my last question. Uh, Super Bowl pick for the season. Who do you got? Super Bowl pick. The matchup or just like the, the matchup? Go ahead, get the matchup. The matchup. I'm going to go. Don't say Kansas City because I don't think they're going back this year. You don't think they're going back? No. I don't think their offensive line is as good as it was last year. They lost Orlando Brown to free agency. I think the left side is going to be weaker. They still have Tooney there, but I think it's it's not going to be as prolific in their defenses. They lost a couple of pieces. Clark's not there this year. They're going to have problems. I think I think they're a better team than they were this year, last year. I think last year they was like a C minus C plus team. And I don't think I think they won a Super Bowl last year with one of the worst Super Bowl teams. Not worse, you know, like not they was a bad team, but I think they I think they're a better team this year. Really? Last year. I don't know, man. I, I, I don't think they lost a lot of weapons this offseason. They lost Nicole Hardman. They lost uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. They lost pieces, man. And they're not as good as they were last year. I, I don't believe it as far as the oh, roster is no. concerned. No, I respect your opinion for sure. I'm I like a- I, Tony, I like you, man. I, I really do. I, I, I love you, man. <laughs> but as far as your Kobe Bryant situation as one of the greats of all time in the Lakers, I disagree with you, buddy. We're not going to talk. We're not going to talk basketball this time because uh, we went back and forth the last time you were on the show, and you know I, I want to keep it you know with some sanity today because after what Jeff did, I mean, 
He makes me just, you know, heated. And, <laughs> and then you got all these guys like John Suggs saying, oh, the Jets are going to stink anyways, which he has absolutely no idea what he's talking about. It just shows you, uh, you know, some of these fans, they're just a little out there because they hate the Jets and they love their teams. And he's out of his mind, by the way. But uh, uh, what, what, what happened? You think you think you think the Jets will most likely end up in the Super Bowl or out of the playoffs? I don't know where the Jets are going to be because they have to protect Aaron Rodgers, and, it, and we have to see how they're going to protect him. Who's going to win the right tackle position? Who's going to win the left tackle position? Then we can speak. Um, Aaron Rodgers changes that team. He changes everything. They have weapons all over the field. People forget they still have Corey Davis there. They have Nicole Hardman there. They have uh, a tremendous – they have Garrett Wilson. They have a tremendous amount of talent, wide receivers, tight ends. They have running backs. They have Brees Hall coming back. Uh, they they have Elijah Veritaka, who was arguably one of the best offensive linemen in football last year, who got hurt. This is a good team. Their defense was a top-five defense last year. They're going to be even better this year with Woods and Jefferson there. Uh, Jeffrey's there. So th- there is a tremendous amount of talent there. And Quinn Williams and the talent that they brought in, even in, in, in the draft, I, they're – they're going to be a lot better than everybody is saying. They, the Jets won seven games, Tony. Seven games with no quarterbacks. With no quarterbacks. Now they have one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL on their roster right now. What are you going to tell me that he's not going to win three or four more games for the New York Jets? Even with the schedule they have, with the talent they have. This is the most talented team Aaron Rodgers has ever played for. Ooh. 100%. 100%. The, I don't know about the most talented. His Look at the wide receivers team. that he had when he won the Super Bowl. Uh, Donald Driver. Jordy Nelson. What did Jordy Nelson do when he left? James Jones. J- don't stop with James Jones. Do not mention James Jones. Get out of here. James Jones didn't make plays? I don't, I don't think he's as good as you think he is. But he made plays. Uh, a lot of these guys make plays. You don't think uh, Nicole Hardman doesn't make plays? You don't think Garrett Wilson makes plays? I don't think Nicole Hardman is, is nowhere near any of those receivers I just named. James uh, James Jones? I don't think he's close to James. I I, I do. I, I, I don't. He's a, weapon, I, he's a weapon for sure. Oh, uh, let me see. Uh, Speedy, go look up James Jones because I I have to look at this. We're still. No, I, I watched. I watch. All right, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, one year we led the league in uh, receiving touchdowns. Hold on, put it, put it in, Speedy. Put it in, James Jones, right over here. Of course, they, they gave me the basketball one. All right, so first career, four hundred thirty-three catches, fifty-eight, sixty-one yards, fifty-one touchdowns. Fifty-one touchdowns. That that's that's easy to do. I didn't say it was easy. How many years Nine did he years do it? in the NFL. Nine years in the NFL. Yeah, that's, that's hey. That's and, easy. yep, you're right, Tony. 2012, he led the uh, led the league in touchdowns, 14. Mm-hmm. So they had some weapons. Um, they had Charles McClay. Mm-hmm. I, I ain't about to go into that. But this is this is one. So, they, so you got to win a division. I know. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm still looking and seeing how healthy they're going to be this year. I want to see after preseason how healthy they're going into this. If they're healthy – I think I think they could win twelve games this year. Yeah, I think they could. That's big. That's big. I, I, and remember, just so you know, Nicole Hardman's only played he's he's played fifty seven games. Okay, mm-hmm. he has almost three thousand yards and he has sixteen touchdowns. So, and he's only done that in really three years. So that's not bad either, man. No, he nice. He nice. And that's that's just that's really a fourth option on the Jets. He's going to be a fourth option for the Jets. So, it, it, to me, 
Corey Davis, when he's healthy, he's not he's not a bad wide receiver. Uh, you have weapons, and Garrett Wilson could be just as good as any of them. You know, uh, so he's yeah, yeah. yeah. freak. Yeah, so I, I don't know. Honest, and, and th- this is probably the best defense he's ever played with. I, I mean, honestly, I mean, we got we got we got to see this yeah. year. Yes, it was good last year. Yeah. we got to see though because he didn't play with yeah. defense. Yeah, played with Julius Peppers. Yeah, you know, but Agent Hawk. Um, but back to my pick. I'm gonna go with. I like the Chiefs going again. I think it's gonna be tough. I like the Chiefs going again because I just think Patrick Mahomes. Just one of them guys. I think he. I think he one of them guys. Mm. I think he went again. Right. I got the Chiefs going, mm-hmm. and at the NFC, you better pick the Eagles. I want to, but I don't want to. I don't. I don't think they're gonna go this year. <laughs> oh, I do. I think I like they're really good, man. <laughs> they missing two coordinators. That's big, man. I don't think it matters with talent. I think there's just so much talent on that defense. There's so much talent on that offense. They're they're really good. Coaching gonna coaching gonna come. It gotta be there though. I understand the talent, but we just seen some talent teams that with with, with coaching not there, it, it kind of you know just be a talented team. Okay, mm-hmm. the 2011 Eagles, the dream team. The, 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 the Bills is a talented team. The Bills is a talented team. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I, I I'm could... gonna go Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Shit, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna get crazy with this one though. Ooh, <laughs> I like it. I'm gonna go Chiefs. Man, I'm going Chiefs Lions. Lions. Ooh, all right. Lions. Chiefs Lions. Man. Very so interesting. They overcome all the uh, gambled, suspended wide receivers of adversity and win the Super Bowl. <laughs> he picks the Chiefs and the Lions. <laughs> I'm going Chiefs Lions. Tony, you're out of your mind. <laughs> I thought I was crazy. <laughs> hey, but if they do not. Well, we really appreciate you. As always, thank you for joining us. We'll get you on sooner than later, I promise you. And uh, just remember, Kobe is not top 10 of all time, just so you know that. No, Bron is, is. Bron is definitely, definitely top 10. He's not, he's not number one. I, his wife is out of her mind on the ESPY Awards saying he's number one. Don't you put the number one. Oh. Don't you maybe, put the oh, number maybe one. Maybe that's what you guys were arguing about. I know there was something. We're, we're maybe it was watching, that. We're watching. We're watching. Stop. 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 The game is different. Stop it. Stop it, Tony. Stop it. Uh, we're we're going to have to talk on off air, okay? I, we're, de- we're going to have to go at it off air, my friend. But thank you for joining us. You know, man. Appreciate y'all having me. You already know. Ah, thank you, Tony. As you know, former Dolphins and Giants cornerback Tony Lippett, fantastic. Great personality. A little crazy. But, you know, Jeff and all those other guys. But I love Tony. Tony is a great personality. Good guy. When we come back for the first time on the Loudmouths, nine-year MLB pitcher and current co-host of New York Sports Nation Nightly, Nelson Figueroa, here on the Sports Loudmouths. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know. This is the Sports Loudmouth. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week, including the Loudmouths, which airs every single Wednesdays at 9 p.m., Thursdays at 9 p.m., 
new content, new guests, and ladies and gentlemen, crazy callers. As we hear Jeff throughout the shows, pissing me off, making me want to choke him. But thank you, Jeff, for calling the show and pissing me off today. Uh, you do that every single show. 631-672-3108 is the number. Thank you to Tony Lippett for joining us. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we are now talking to nine-year MLB pitcher and current co-host of New York Sports Nation Nightly, Nelson Figaro. Nelson, what's up, man? How you doing, guys? You look good, man. I, I remember you Thank as a you. pitcher. Uh, you did, obviously, you played for the Yankees. You played for the Mets. You played all over the place. How are you doing? How's, uh, how's the gig doing over there at uh, WPIX? The gig is phenomenal. Uh, it was a great opportunity to get back into television uh, alongside Mark Melusis, uh, you know, renowned New York uh, opinion maker, a guy who's been doing this for over 20-some-odd years here in New York um, media. So, uh, very knowledgeable. Uh, we get along great. We've got chemistry. We worked together back in the SNY days when he did a show called Loudmouths. Mm. Uh, and, and so him and Sal Licata, mm-hmm. they're now, you know, they were, both work at WFAN. So keep running in the same circles. And eventually, you know, you find a place that fits. And uh, WPIX, um, I keep saying WPIX. It's so <laughs> old fashioned. Picks 11 in New York. It's WPIX. Uh, weekday nights at 7 p.m. I know. But every time I say it, people are like, What's that? I'm like, God, they dropped the W from everything now. So. <laughs> they did that with the WWF, too. Come on, man. And that's what you know of as the WWF. Now you call it the WWE. What the hell is the WWE? I remember yeah, it as the no, WWF. It, it ruins right. everything. I actually was saying that today. I was saying that today to somebody. I was like, oh, this reminds me of how things are scripted, kind of like the WWF. And they're like, what? no, no, you mean E. I'm like, no, it's F. Give me an E. <laughs> Give me an F. Or according to Arian Foster, the NFL scripted, too. Yeah, right? We are talking to nine-year MLB pitcher, current co-host of New York Sports Nation Nightly, Nelson Figueroa. I was going to ask you in terms of your experience with the Mets when you were there for those two years. What was that like in the uh, 2000, what was it, 2008 and 2009 seasons? Well, of course, the 2008 season, we just came off the 2007 season where there was the uh, – uh, the September to forget. And uh, how did we top that one? We shut down Shea Stadium uh, by losing on the last day and knocking ourselves out of the playoffs as the Brewers jumped over us. That was that CC Sabathia run, the incredible run of just complete game after complete game and single-handedly taking them to the playoffs. That was my first year. And then my second year, we moved into City Field. So it was a, a great transition to get to city field of course the old ballpark still you know is, is i consider that home i grew up a mets fan born and raised in brooklyn new york so getting a chance to uh be one of the last teams there and then to turn over to the new stadium and um you know being able to at least leave my mark um you know didn't get to do a lot of great things in the big leagues but uh to have my first and only complete game shut out on the last day of the season in 2009 it was the first one in the ballpark's history and so at least my name is up there somewhere forever and just so you know, I said you play for the Yankees. You didn't play for the Yankees, so I want to apologize. No, AAA. No, no you don't want to even get into that conversation. <laughs> I was in AAA with the Yankees. I know. And, uh, I, didn't, I, I want to take I that back. I don't want to throw you under the bus there. No, no, it's not under the bus. It was, it was one, of the, one of the best, worst things ever because I wore pinstripes in high school. I went to Abraham Lincoln High School, and mm-hmm. so my first time putting on pinstripes, and I looked very much like this when I got the phone call because I had long <laughs> hair down to my shoulders. And I told my wife, hey, uh, the uh, Yankees called. You know, they want to sign me to a AAA contract. And she goes, what about your hair? And I'm like, damn it, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> so we used to say I had to cut the hair and shave the beard. And uh, at 35 years old, 
you know, trying to still hang on and have an opportunity with the Yankees. I said, you know, I'll do whatever it takes. Went out there and I was pitching well for the team. And I got called in the office one day and was told, um, you know, there's a voicemail here. And all it says is, uh, you know, a couple of the scores from last night, a couple of the reports. And then at the end, it says, uh, you can give Figueroa his release. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, what's that about? I thought I was getting called in here because I was getting called. I was pitching well. <laughs> Next thing I know, I'm out looking for a job. And uh, I wound up signing with the uh, rivals uh, the Boston Red Sox oh, and went to Triple A there. Wonderful. Won a championship with them and knocked out the Yankees and from the playoffs. So all's well that ends well. <laughs> Nelson, the Yankees are not playing pretty good baseball. Uh, they're coming oh. out of the All Star break. They're two and eight. They're they're just not hitting. Their lineup has been dreadful. Uh, their rotation so far in the second half has been dreadful. What are your thoughts to the woes of the New York Yankees? What could the Yankees do in the second half of the season to get back in this race? Uh, well, they're going to have to do a lot of things. Um, right now, they're they're not doing any one thing well. He, he, besides Garrett Cole pitching, and Garrett Cole starts. You know, he's Garrett Cole. He's the ace. He's legitimately has taken the formula of success from Jacob Degrom. High fastballs, sliders down and away in that right-handed lower quadrant, and and it's worked wonders for him. He's minimizes pitches. He's not trying to, uh, you know, have a four-pitch mix. He's simplifying things, and it's working out great for him. But then the bullpen had such a great first half. You were hoping that they could continue, and you knew it was inevitable that it wasn't going to work out that way. Uh, you know, a guy like Tommy Canley, who was unscored upon in the first half, and now all of a sudden his ERA is, I think, over a three and a half, maybe a four now. It, it just, it, it's, it's starting to crumble from within, and it's, it's hard to watch because the at bats are just lifeless. You, I uh, just heard the number. Michael Kay just said it: uh, 44 strikeouts in a three-game series, the most ever by an Angels pitching staff in a three-game series, and that was including the times when they had Nolan Ryan and Frank Tanana going back-to-back games. So they didn't face any of those guys or guys at that level, but you've seen these swings and um, their inability to make contact or put balls in play and and find a way to rally. And there's a lot of things going wrong right now, and, um, you know, everybody keeps pointing to judge, judge, judge. Judge isn't coming back and isn't going to be able to put a cape on to save the day. So they got to figure out ways to score runs and win games without them. So speaking of Angels pitching, uh, the big name Shohei Otani potentially being dangled around at the trade deadline. We heard last week that the Yankees uh, could try to pursue him in a trade. Buster only said that, and we've been heard, hearing the Mets, too, linked to that as a, maybe as a free agent signing. Do you think either of the New York teams have a realistic shot to get Shohei Otani? What are you willing to give up as a rental if you're the Yankees? And if you're the Mets and somehow you get back in within striking range as well, what are you willing to give up as a rental? The Mets, of course, have already gone on record saying they will pay whatever it takes to bring Shohei to the East Coast if Shohei wants to come to the East Coast. It seems like he's very content about being on the West Coast. The Angels, it's such a catch-22 for the Angels, and I was on MLB Network when I said this last time, and they were about four out of the wild card. And I said, this is the worst possible scenario for them. And this is before everybody got hurt. I go, because inevitably, Trout's going to get hurt, and he did. Uh, Rondon hurt as well. So you had nobody to help Shohei Otani, you know, for this stretch run. And at the same time, you're not far enough out to just say, hey, we just got to do the right thing here. Trade him, get a bunch of prospects, and then come back and try to resign him next year. Right now, if he goes and he breaks Aaron Judge's record in somebody else's uniform, and the Angels for the last five years have absolutely nothing to show for Shohei Otani, it would be a disaster, right? It would be an absolute disaster. So they've got to figure out exactly what they're doing. I thought if the Yankees had a chance to sweep them, that would push them far enough out of contention that maybe 
the Yankees could be considered, you know, hey, this is the guy we need to make that push because there hasn't been a two-way star like this, not even since Babe Ruth because Babe Ruth wasn't putting up numbers like this. Um, so to, to have him, uh, whoever gets him, the balance of power is immediately shifted. We are talking to nine-year MLB pitcher and current co-host of New York Sports Nation Nightly, Nelson Figueroa. You know, Nelson, you look at the Mets, and the Mets have played pretty well in the second half. They're hitting the ball. They're pitching well. Do you think this is sustainable? Because right now I think they're five or six games off of 500. Uh, They are playing better baseball, but is it enough to catch Atlanta or the Marlins and, and, and some of the other teams ahead of them? Yeah, it's not enough to catch Atlanta. I mean, honestly, there's nobody that's going to catch Atlanta at this point. Um, Atlanta's going to have to figure out a way to put it in cruise control and put bubble wrap around guys for the <laughs> uh, for the postseason rather than let these guys wear themselves out from rounding the bases so much. I mean, it's it's unbelievable what they do each and every night. It doesn't matter who the opponent is. But uh, for the Mets, um, you like to see that they're coming around. You like to see the six-game win streak in the beginning of July after having an absolutely dismal they won seven games all of June. They won six in a row to start out July. So that's a quick turnaround right there. And then, of course, it was a disappointing ending to the first half. We lose two out of three to the Padres. And then they started out, again, a little bit of the losing ways. But they, they keep doing this to you. They, they tease you just enough to make you think, oh, well, maybe this is, you know, they're turning it around. Verlander's performance tonight was vintage. Uh, Gone out there, eight innings. You know, things that aces are supposed to do. I, I heard a stat tonight that... You know, boggles my mind, especially you got 30 teams in baseball and 19 of them have not had a starting pitcher throw a pitch in the ninth inning this year. Not (laughs) one. So that's a mind boggling when you have guys that want to be aces and paid like aces and aren't getting paid beyond aces. Right. Forty three million dollars. These guys have to go deeper into ball games. Good to see Verlander do that. Scherzer had a nice outing last time. Senga has been as advertised coming over from Japan. Quintana, whenever he comes through, is, is going to be a nice addition. Hopefully he can pitch like he did last year. And then, of course, Carrasco uh, has tinkered with his slider grip uh, thanks to Instagram and Pablo Lopez showing how to throw a slider. It's amazing, right? Major League pitcher who has, uh, what, 13 years in the big leagues, all-star appearances and everything else, and he revamped his slider while watching Instagram. So it's never too late to learn how to throw another pitch. So. I think um, they still have a good chance, man. This, the, the offense has done some really good things. The, the mystery man in the whole thing has been Pete Alonso. His batting average continues to plummet. Uh, Alvarez has been uh, a godsend for, as far as catching and hitting with all the home runs. Um, Beatty is starting to kind of grow into that everyday type player. We'll hopefully see some consistency. Lindor. For all those troubles, you know, he's up to 240 and driving and runs. So I think they, they still have a chance. They still have a chance, to, and it's going to come down to the deadline. At the 31st, if they still have, like I said, if they're still within striking distance, and we saw this with the Phillies last year, and we saw this, um, you know, where teams got in by the skin of their teeth and they took it all the way to knock out some of the big boys in the playoffs like the Padres did to the Mets and the Phillies did to Atlanta. And look, lo and behold, you know, they were able to – Phillies made it all the way to the World Series. So I think uh, being that we've seen that just recently, it's hard to kind of pull the plug on this thing before it has a chance to uh, turn turn around. So one of the things that's been uh, controversial in New York this year, both with the Mets and the Yankees, has been the sticky substance allegations. We've seen Max Scherzer already got suspended. Domingo Herman's been caught twice already. So do you think MLB is too harsh on the New York teams in particular? What do you think of the rule as a whole, too, with uh, them tracking down on the sticky substances? 
No, I don't really think it's uh, they're, they're targeting New York teams more so than anything else. Remember, Domingo Herman got a chance to wash his hands. Um, so that's an interpretation of the rule that we haven't seen many times. Um, you know, we saw Drew Smith get suspended before throwing a pitch. I think the randomized um, when they check is kind of alarming to some guys. And, and again, some of these guys are swearing it. And we've seen David Cohn gave the uh, demonstration on ESPN where it's just sweat and rosin and he's able to make it sticky enough that the ball sticks to his fingers and doesn't come down. So if it is truly sweat and rosin, this is something that MLB has to do a much better job of, um, I guess, educating. Uh, or if, if, if these guys are feeling that it's beyond the tackiness that it should have for just sweat and rosin, well, th there's a simple solution to this thing. You guys, uh, you know, traveled on an airplane in the last five years. Right. You go through the, the metal detector and they decide randomly, hey, we're going to test your clothing, see if you got anything on you. And they wipe you. Hey, that scanner doesn't take too long. Scan this guy's hand. Tell me what's on his hands. What kind of substances? If it's more than rosin, there you go. Take care of him. I think they could do that in 30 seconds or less rather than this interpretation by four different umpires who always go on. They always go on on, on you know, on the on record saying it's the stickiest hand I've ever felt in all my years. <laughs> you know, what's so funny. And I, I laugh at these new rules that ma the major league likes to bring in. And I'm not a big fan of Rob Manford. As a matter of fact, mm -hmm. I make fun of him all the time. Has but... anybody changed the sport more than him in, in five years? No. And in he's also years, he's changed the sport unbelievably. Yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't make the sport better. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So I, I think the guy's a complete idiot, but that's just my opinion. And I, I could I could say a lot of different people would do a better job than Ron Manford. But I'm not going to say anything because I don't want people to hate me, even though they probably do. <laughs> so I, I just I, – I look at these, these sticky substances that have been on these, these players' fingers. This has been going on for years. You're talking about 40, 50 years. And now all of a sudden, mm -hmm. because the spin rate's more and because they're throwing harder, you know what? You can't have anything. You can't put spit on the ball. You can't put snot on the ball. You can't do anything. You can't wipe your ass and go out there and throw a baseball anymore. If they find crap on a ball, oh, my God, you put crap on a ball? You can't do that. You're suspended for five games, nine games, or whatever the heck they suspend you for. It is ridiculous. And I, I think Rob Manford, with everything that's going on, we've had, Nelson, we've had so many ex um, MLB players come on the show. We had um, mm -hmm. we had uh, who do we have on last week? Josh Towers. Josh Towers. Josh Towers yep. was on the show last week, and he's a former pitcher and a relief pitcher. Yep. And he said I the same well. thing. He said the same thing. It shouldn't matter what's on your finger. It shouldn't matter if they took steroids. It shouldn't matter. They go out and they play every day. They put fannies in the seats. What does it matter? But Bud Selig, when he was the commissioner of baseball, he said, you know what? I just turned my head. Mark McGuire doing it, Sammy Sosa, Rafael Pe No, don't. Keep doing it, guys. It's helping baseball. And then all of a sudden, when it, the politics came into it, all of a sudden he says, I tried to stop this. I tried. Get the hell mm -hmm. out of here. You're an idiot. So is Rob Manford. Let's bring Epst uh, let's bring Theo, Theo in or somebody like that, a real baseball guy that actually knows what he's doing. Am I right or wrong here? No, you know what? There's a lot of things that you can look at. And that's one of the one thing that has always irked me, that things that you never thought you would see changed in the game in a matter of five years. Uh, you know, I go back to the uh, uh, the Ruben Tejada play, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Chase Utley rule. Mm -hmm. um, taking out a guy at second base was everything 
That's a game changer. That's a that's a mojo changer for a, a team. And in that situation, especially, he did nothing wrong except play the game the way we've been taught since we were kids. Go hard in the second base. Don't let them turn that double play. Eighth inning down by a run. That tied the ball game up right there. Had had they not been able to do that, because like the rule now, you have to come up and slide and not touch the guy. It changes the it changes the the integrity of the game in my estimation. Guys were taught to get the hell out the way and turn that double play. Guys are taught if you can't turn a double play, catch the ball and get out the way so that you don't you don't get hit. Same thing with the sliding rule at home plate, right? Mm-hmm. The Buster Posey rule. Yeah. Uh, if it wasn't Buster Posey, we probably wouldn't be talking about this. It would still be a, a, one of the best plays in all of sports is the ability to try and jar the ball loose and score a run. And as a catcher, you loved it. You stood your ground. You wanted to initiate that contact because you're the one with the equipment on, right? You're the <laughs> one with the helmet on. So it's, they were protected as it is. It was just unfortunate circumstance where his leg was extended. He tried to block the plate with his leg. And to much it's his fault as much as anybody else's. You keep going along the lines. Now, no shift, bigger bases, Pitch clock, the pitch clock absolutely drives me nuts. And I get it. It speeds up the game. But you know what is not fun? It's not fun going to a ball game and you go up to go get something to eat. And by the time you come back, it's the fifth inning. That's not fun. <laughs> My brother was literally complaining about the same thing. Like, I, Right? It, it's just, it's, it's one of those things where if you're watching it at home, you know, wow, the pace of this game is great. I can watch something else tonight and not just, you know, turn off the TV and go to sleep. I understand that. <laughs> but by the time I get off the air at 730 and I get home to New Jersey, it is literally the sixth inning already. And I have to watch this thing on my phone as I'm walking through Manhattan to make sure I see every pitch. So it's, it's, it's nerve wracking. It's nerve wracking to someone like me. And I can imagine, you know, you, you spend a lot of money to go get tickets to the game. You go and you park for 70 bucks and you're in and out in two hours. And yeah, that's great for baseball, right? It's like, oh, the, the new age, they want the, everything faster. But baseball's never had a clock. And to think about, you know, these playoff games that are going to matter so much. And if somebody gets called out or somebody gets walked in <laughs> due to a pitch clock violation to end the World Series, I, I would never, ever, ever – Rob Manfred could never look anybody in the eye again. <laughs> so I want to ask you in reference to the pitch clock, do you, how, how much across the league do you think it's affected maybe even just older pitchers or, like, pitchers in general that have those awkward types of deliveries? Do you think – who do you think has been affected the most by that? I and mean, Even with the Mets case, too, like they have all their, all their old pitchers. Yeah, there, I mean, it's it's an adapter done kind of thing, right? And I think in the beginning, Scherzer was toying with it a little bit and like, you know, trying to mess around with the shot clock. It's kind of like, you know, if you go to certain colleges and certain venues where the crowd counts down yeah. the wrong clock, you know what I mean? They're <laughs> counting down three, two, one, when it's really eight seconds on the clock and people panic. You know, it, it was similar to that in spring training because the first time he did it, he was messing around with people. He would wait till one second and throw. The next time he would just throw as soon as he got the ball back and he was having a great old time. And then the next game, he gave up like eight runs. He had two balks, two pitch clock violations. And you saw him frazzled by it. And it was got in his head a little bit. I don't think it really bothers guys that much because I think for the most part, pitchers were always taught if you work quick, your defense stays on their toes. 
uh, everybody's ready, the, the batter, the onus is on the batter to get back in the box or anything, the hitter having to get back in the box. You know, he has that one timeout, and I get that. That's why they all do it with two strikes, right? For a hitter, it's like, man, I'm getting back in the box, and this guy's already ready to throw the ball. And if he's not ready to throw the ball, you're messing with his timing anyway by holding the ball. So it's almost like a pitching one-on-one where we used to do this anyway when I was coming up in the minor leagues, and we were taught to mess with hitters' timings. Um, so now they do it, and it's, you know, monitored, and it's 15 seconds or 20 seconds with a guy on all this other thing. I just think like introducing it in the minor leagues was great getting guys used to it. But when they turn the switch on and then we found like there's a bunch of flaws to this whole thing, like the whole uh, giving yourself a clock violation. If somebody steals off you before the third throw, because it just becomes a ball instead of a stolen base. There's so many ways to manipulate these things and that teams will further find ways to do it. Um, so for me, I, I, I don't like it. I don't like the feel of it. I don't like, people rushing me it's like if you go to play a round of golf and the starter is just nagging you the whole time right hey can you hurry it up hey can you hurry it up no i don't want to hurry it up the beauty of the game is we've got all day until somebody wins this ball game there's no time clock there's no ties we're gonna play this game until it finishes and that's just the beauty of baseball so to me there's it was always something romantic about that and it's lost its feel we are talking to nine-year MLB pitcher and current co-host of New York Sports Nation Nightly, Nelson Figueroa. There's a fan that wants me to ask you this question. Uh, John Suggs mm -hmm. asked us, uh, thoughts on getting rid of the shift? And my question to you is, out of all the years that you played in the MLB, what player, when he stood in the box, just frightened you when you were pitching to him? Well, we'll go that one first because that's easy. Uh, Barry Bonds, I mean – it was just anytime you were going up against Barry Bonds, you knew you were going up against history. It wasn't just an at-bat. It was if he takes you deep, he's, you're getting added to that list. Um, <laughs> you know he was on pace to get to Hank Aaron's mm -hmm. record and, you know, break Babe Ruth's, break Hank Aaron's. Um, you just know he was he was that kind of player. We've never seen – like watching what Shohei Otani is doing is, like, amazing and, and it's fun to watch. But you have to remember, like, the year after Bonds hit 73 home runs, he got walked 230 times, 120 <laughs> times intentionally. Yeah. 120 times intentionally. So all he saw was maybe one pitch a game to hit. And chances were, you know, I would say two-thirds of the time, he had a home run. So it was that amazing to see what he was able to do. And uh, I'm, on, I'm on board with the Towers if he was the one saying, um, mm -hmm. you know, steroids or no steroids 100%. didn't matter. That man, that man, his ability to sit there and have the patience to wait on a pitch that he could handle and not miss it was beyond otherworldly. And so I love what Shohei's doing. It, it, it is incredible. Um, but Bonds was the guy that, you know, you just, if you were able to get him out, it was everything. But, you know, if you gave up a home run, hey, my name is in the record book somewhere. So I'll take that <laughs> with it, too. Um, as far as the shift, I'm twofold with it. Because when I first came, I was with the Astros my last season in 2011. And I remember we were doing, starting to do a lot of the shifting. And they would shift with me pitching with two strikes where my kind of forte was a slower breaking ball. Now, with a slower breaking ball, there's more time for the hitter to make an adjustment or as he's looking out to the defense, say, I'm not going to hit this slow breaking ball to the right side because I see everybody shifted to the right. I'm going to pull this into a big-ass hole where there's nobody <laughs> at. And it happened to me several times with two strikes, two outs, runner at second base, and now this guy gets an RBI on a 17 hopper where there's nobody there. It would drive me absolutely nuts. And as baseball got better at doing it, pitchers also – Pitchers aren't as, uh, they're not as 
inventive. They're not as creative mm-hmm. as they used to be, right? Because you literally go by the game plan. Hey, it says here, sliders and fastballs. This is what the majority of pitchers throw, two pitches, sliders and fastballs. Even starters. Back in my day, it was, uh, God, I just said that out loud. <laughs> Back when I played, it was fastball, slider. You needed a third pitch for the third time through the lineup. You needed a pitch that was your, like your own, so you wanted a wipeout, strikeout pitch. You needed a pitch just in case those other two weren't on that was serviceable. So you kind of constantly were always tinkering with three, four, five pitches. We threw from different arm angles, everything. Just it, you, you were more creative. Changing speeds. Yeah. Everything is freaking gas pedal right now, right? <laughs> Everybody's throwing 100 with a 95-mile-an-hour slider and and it's incredible because when i came up i could tell you three guys that touched a hundred and in the 20 some odd years that i had been either watching or playing baseball and now you look and there's eight guys on every pitching staff that can touch a hundred it's not the athletes either by the way Mm. they measure from a different distance now they're measuring from 55 feet they didn't measure from 55 feet when i when when I played, they measured from 60 feet, six inches. Wow. Right. Mm-hmm. And what they measured, actually, what they actually measured even worse than that was they had the ray guns originally that would measure what it was at the plate mm. after it traveled 60 feet, six inches. So that was a, a, a the degradation is like six, seven, eight miles an hour sometimes. And so guys throwing 98, it really comes to the plate at 92. Do you think it's humanly possible to be hitting 100 mile an hour fastballs? At, at, at just regularity like this it's really not but for the all of baseball to all of a sudden have this big increase and every pitcher became matt harvey overnight when matt <laughs> harvey came up in 2013 nobody had seen that right mm. everybody's like holy cow this guy's 100 with a 93 mile an hour wipeout slider and you're like this guy's special he was the worst one of the five that they had. <laughs> they had DeGrom, they had Wheeler, they had Syndergaard, who was sitting at 100 with two-seam action, a 93-mile-an-hour change of a 95-mile-an-hour slider. Harvey's looking up all of a sudden three years after he came up for the All-Star game, <laughs> and he's like, I am the worst pitcher on this team. <laughs> what just happened? So, yes, they started measuring differently, and this is for you know uh, all intents and purposes – that means that everybody back in my day was throwing harder than they actually were, but they won't say that, you know, there, there's no way to, uh, you know, how we have war to calculate and all those other numbers to calculate different errors. They're not going to do that. They're not going to be like, Oh, well actually he was actually throwing because Nolan Ryan, everybody talked about how he threw a fastball over a hundred miles an hour, mm. but it never registered that except for the one pitch, right? Was it 108? 108. To be? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. that's one of those things where uh, the shift um, being banned, um, was supposed to lead to a lot more offense, but the strikeouts are still sky high. Mm-hmm. So if you don't make contact, doesn't matter if there's a shift. Mm. And because because the king of all things is run production, everybody's swinging for doubles and home runs. They're swinging for RBIs. They're not swinging to hit the ball the other way because there's no shift or or pull the ball this time because there's only a lot, two guys allowed on that side. So it, it hasn't really. It, I think there's been about a five. Um, five percentage points. So it's gone up to like 248 from 243 uh, last year from uh, on just a batting average side. The slugging is up, of course, because like I said, the slugging is up. But again, I think a lot of it, the strikeouts are still almost just as high. Just watch what the Yankees just did. We yeah. see it night after night. So I think um, I'm, I'm not really affected much by that. I think the bigger bases are allowing guys to steal a little bit more. You got a half a foot head start now. Um, so that always helps three inches on both bases. 
so we're, we're seeing some uh, amazing things. I mean, Acuna was on pace to go, Seven, you know, f- yeah, he's going, he's going pace for 45, 45, <laughs> which would be an unbelievable thing. Um, and, and he was batting, I think, you know, back when I looked at it, it was like three, three sixty or something ungodly. Uh, we have a rise. I'm not sure where he's at now, but he was at three eighty for most of the season, you know, to 400 somewhere in that range. So you were seeing some good things. Um, show hay season, of course, but I think on the whole, um, you know, it, it just, it's still a watered down product when there's so much swing and miss and nobody gives a damn. Uh, that really drives me nuts. I love when the Mets broadcasters say Luis Arias had a down game. He went one for three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. He went one for three. He's only batting three thirty three, so his average dropped. <laughs> it's it's unreal. It's unreal. But I, I love. I, listen, the, the the game. There's facets of the game. I love how people are like, oh, Luis Arias. He, he's you know this this is a guy who we're talking about him. He won't even be here next year, or he he only bat. I was like, do you know he's batting three twenty five for his career? Like you're talking elite level of. Of batting and I get it, it's singles. So what? So what? Tony Gwynn. RBIs are attached to it, it still counts. Tony Gwynn. Oh my God, Tony Gwynn now. Wade, Tony Gwynn, Wade Boggs, mm-hmm. you know, the, those those are the guys. Ichiro, my mm-hmm. God. I mean, those are the guys that, you know, you model, you tell kids, hey, put the ball in play, make something happen, put the onus on the defense, right? Now they're like, oh, if you don't hit the ball in the air, you know, why bother? Well, it's hard to hit it in the air if you're swinging and missing up things in the dirt. Uh, it's just, mind-boggling to me how the, the two things don't correlate, and yet this is what we're still trying to teach the young kids. Well, I just want to let you know, the mind-boggling thought of Matt Harvey's downfall was the supermodels and the smoking the cigarettes. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, he, he loved to chase those supermodels. I will say, I will say that about Matt. <laughs> hey, shoot for the moon, land amongst the stars, right? <laughs> oh, for his case, it's Gotham City. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh. well, I think that was one of one of the things that that is very hard to it's very hard for people to understand. But there's there's a couple of different examples of it, right? Mike Tyson was exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Mike Tyson was king of the world. You couldn't say anything to this man. He was the baddest man on the planet. And when he got knocked out by Buster Douglas, mm-hmm. his both in the ring and outside the ring, his spiraled out of control. Right? He wound up going to jail. For rape, he wound up, uh, you know, losing years of his career, mid of his career. Um, you 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 lose who you are because you've been told since practically practically birth, you're the best there ever was. Matt Harvey was told that from day one. He was given the key to the city. They did an ESPN special when he had his surgery and he was coming back. The return of the Dark Knight. And it was like he had 12 wins in the big leagues, and they put all this on his shoulders. And for the most part, he lived up to it up until the point where it was that second surgery, and then the third surgery, and then after TOS. And and in his head, he's saying, I can't throw 100 miles an hour anymore. I'm not the hardest thrower on my own team, even. Like, who am I at this point? And mm. to carry that that identity of a superhero everywhere you went, and you you go to a you, you have a start and you only go five innings and you give up two runs and you walk two and only strike out three. That's not dark night material, mm. you know. People are like, "What's wrong with you?" Oh, did we win the game? Great, but wins don't matter anymore, right? It's all about how many strikeouts. What was my spin rate? What was so for me the, the Matt Harvey thing spiraled out of control because it, he was getting booed for the first time as well. Like, that eats at you, bro. Like, no, people don't understand that. Like, when you're used to the adulation and the, the cheers, 
everything that you've done has gotten cheers. And all of a sudden, every time you go out there, five straight outings are booze. <laughs> every time you come off the mound, that hits hard. That hits really, really hard. And he wasn't able to kind of bounce back from that. And it, it, it's not easy. It's not easy to come back from, from the, you know, falling from so high and just be expected to be normal. He was never able to recover and just be a, a regular, you know, fifth starter, even at the major league level. And, you know, his career ended way too soon because, you know, it wasn't just a physical thing. I think it was a mental thing as well. Well, we really appreciate your time, as always. We know you're a busy guy, and we'd love to get you on again and uh, keep up the good Anytime. work. Mark is uh, Mark's a nice guy. I've known Mark for a while. Uh, he's worked really right. hard to get where he's at, and uh, as we yes, sir. keep pushing forward to doing what we want to do in the industry. We really appreciate all your hard work and everything that you've done, not only for New York sports, you know, when it comes to baseball, but everything that you've done, not only for baseball, but for all the time and energy that you've put in for families and kids all over New York state, because you are from Brooklyn and you sport, you are the voice of New York sports now over there at WPIX. So thank you. (laughs) I appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, the energy is fantastic. Uh, Thank continue you, to, you know, get great guests. Uh, every guest you get will give you a little something that you can always pull back uh, when you become big superstars. Thank you Thank so much. Thank you, Nelson. Nelson Figueroa. Fantastic. He really oh, yes. is. Very, very fantastic. Oh, God, Carl. You're really going to call Errol a Nithin? <laughs> Do I become the next Nithin? Uh, yes, when Errol becomes the best Nithin. <laughs> next Nithin. Oh, God. Carl, I don't know if you want to stoop there. Uh, Nithin's still analyzing E.J. Perry. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, it's not me, but nevertheless. <laughs> John says the next Joe Rogan, LOL. Hey, hey, listen. If I'm the next Joe Rogan, I'm the next big superstar. Nelson, definitely. Very good personality in itself. So, no, he's great. Very knowledgeable. Very knowledgeable. He was great, and I we really appreciate the time that he gave us because yes. he didn't have to give us all that time. Uh, I'm sure he was probably thinking he was only going to be on for like 20 minutes, but uh, he gave us a, a lot of good content so we really appreciate everything yes. that he's done he really is but i i mean what were your thoughts to, you know from the, from everything that he said to us yeah i think even too like the knowledge of a lot of the new rules too expanding it to like even going back on to when he was playing too he was mentioning that like they were experimenting with the minor leagues uh like kind of towards the end of his career too like that was a very good insight for that to have and obviously him being a former pitcher he knows the adjustments that you have to make in terms of changing speeds you talk about changing speeds with a lot of these veteran pitchers that do it so very well we had one uh zach grinky that was very good for a while with just doing that because he was an overly hard thrower too but the way he changed speeds made him one of the best pitchers for his era too and you look at these bonner pitchers today definitely a velocity driven league now no question where you're gonna have and that's really interesting too that what he said too that like they measured on 55 feet now which is i didn't know interesting that too i know i think ryan spader when we had him on last was mentioning something <laughs> do you think like i that. do you think i remember that no no no. i i wouldn't say you did necessarily he was mentioning something where they were twerking the uh the way they measured the the you like to rate. twerk you like to twerk? no i don't i think they were the way they measured the spin rate he said something was different with that I think the last time we had him on the show I didn't realize though they measured it from 55 feet that was actually very fascinating what he was saying about that and yeah it's interesting to see like there's a lot of pitchers that throw 100 but they're not always like the top tier pitchers anymore either like somebody like Jordan Hicks on the Cardinals is not like you would consider a great relief pitcher but he throws 100 plus like he's a very streaky relief pitcher though so it's interesting uh, ESPN Diana Russini reports that the Titans signed DeAndre Hopkins to a two year deal worth about 26 
million dollars. The base salary for the first year is twelve million. Then it will be fifteen million dollars in incentives. Titans offensive coordinator Tim Kelly was the offensive coordinator. With the Texans in 2019, Hopkins had 104 catches, 1,165 yards, and seven touchdowns that season. Uh, Mike Vrabel was a linebacker's coach with the Texans before being hired by the Titans as the head coach in 2018. The Patriots and Chiefs also offered Hopkins a deal, but it wasn't significantly close to the $12 million he's getting this year. Hopkins is 31 years old and had 64 catches for 717 yards, three touchdowns last year. Honestly, this is a big, big blow for the New England Patriots. I really believe DeAndre Hopkins was a must-get for the New England Patriots. With Mac Jones having an offseason, bringing O'Brien back, yes, they have the tight end, great. Having Hopkins as your number one guy that can come off the edge, can do different things, you can put him in the slot, he can do so many different things, and so many mismatches if you move him in certain uh, positions with the tight ends you have and the running backs you have, you would have been a prolific offense this year against teams and defenses like the Jets and obviously the corners that the Dolphins have and even the Buffalo Bills. You're in a division with top defenses, probably Top, all three of those teams are going to have top 10 defense. Actually, all four of them are going to have top 10 defenses. The problem is the Patriots are going to have a top 10 defense like they did last year. The problem is they don't have the offense they had uh, over the last, you know, the, the last years of Tom Brady's career or any of those talents. So you, you look at where the Patriots are right now, and I understand they have Parker and they have I, I, Thornton and all these other guys that Jeff was telling me, number twos. Fantastic. They have all these number twos. But they need a number one. And I, I really believe when you look at this position in particular and you look at where the Patriots have been over the last couple of years, they haven't had a number one guy there. Never. If you look at it, the last number one guy they've had was Moss. Mm-hmm. That was it. And I understand they've, they've won Super Bowls without number one guys, and that's great. But if you see the Patriots, they don't have Tom Brady anymore. Their defenses are not top five of, in the league right now. Now, last year, I think they were seventh or eighth. I think they were ninth overall last year. Yeah. I, and I, I'm not saying that the Patriots can't have a top five defense this year. I'm not saying that. But... To miss out on DeAndre Hopkins, as good as he could be if he plays a full season and he is the number one guy, he had, what, 700 yards last year? He played how many games? Nine. Nine games. If he plays 17, 18 games this season, he's going to have over 1,100 yards. He's going to have probably around 10 or 11 touchdowns. And he would absolutely hide the deficiencies offensively that the Patriots had last year. And also you look at a case of Hopkins, too, trying to get that money as well and also get the combination of the targets and the money, too. And I think the Titans give him that kind of opportunity, even with the lackluster quarterback play that they'll probably have. Hopkins is going to go to a place where he's going to be targeted a lot because Traylon Burks is really their only other receiver that has some level of upside. And he was hurt last year. And when he did play, he only had really two great games his rookie year. And that was really it. So the offensive upside for Hopkins to try to rebirth himself into what he was even just two years ago when he was with Arizona. Arizona had that great year. 
is something that I think you could definitely get from a volume perspective. And again, the money too is a big difference because I don't think you were going to expect to get that offer from any other team either. $12 million, $13 million a year. You can get up to 15 this year with incentives too. And the Patriots definitely were not going to give him that kind of money. The Chiefs, I wouldn't imagine, would give him that kind of money either because they're struggling with the cap like we were talking about before with Dalvin Cook. Like, you're looking at a case where the, pa- the Titans give him that option to get those two things. And here's the thing. The Titans getting DeAndre Hopkins, you say they're 1A. I, I think they are the 1A team right now in their division. I like the Jacksonville Jaguars. I like, obviously, they're better now. They, they have now a dual threat at receiver. I think they're going to be fun to watch this year. I think both teams can make the playoffs. They really could. What the Titans were missing last year was A.J. Brown. They traded A.J. Brown at the draft. So they were missing that prolific offensive player. Now you add DeAndre Hopkins, who's been there before. He is He's a good wide receiver. He's not the elite wide receiver he once was, but he's still a guy that can put up the numbers, can help you out on the outside. He can hide the deficiencies of Ryan Tannehill, let, let's be honest. And they still have Derrick Henry there. It's going to open up holes for Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry, every team knew when they were going to hand Derrick Henry the ball. When they were clogging up the middle, it was harder for Derrick Henry to put up the numbers that he put up the year before, where he was arguably the best running back in, in the NFL. And consistency-wise, he was still very good in the games yes. that, he, that he did play. But again, it's got to take a toll for a guy that's older look towards the end of his career. I think he's 29 years old, too. And a guy that's had 250, 300-plus carries in many different seasons, too. And that'll help the overall efficiency of the like trying not to wear him out as much, either having somebody like Hopkins, too. But Hopkins, the same kind of thing, where he's he might get targeted a lot, but he's not going to get as worn down as he did in Arizona. When Let's be honest, all their receivers got hurt last year, too. Rondell Moore was hurt. They had Marquise Brown that was hurt for half the season. So Hopkins really was playing with nobody a lot of the time. And then Kyler Murray got hurt. I think when you look at, you know, everybody is going to look at the season and they're going to try to compare the wide receivers and the running backs and how important they are with fantasy because that's the first thing people look at. They don't even look at the teams and look at where these teams are going to end up because everybody's got money invested into fantasy. When you look at DeAndre Hopkins, DeAndre Hopkins is not going to be a first or a second or a third round pick, but he would be a steal in the fourth round. He will be a steal in the fifth round because DeAndre Hopkins is still going to put up those kind of numbers. He's still going to give you a thousand yards if he stays healthy. He's still going to give you between 8 and 10 touchdowns because he is the guy. He is going to be their number one outside option. And if he went to the Patriots, I think he would have had better numbers because they have, quote-unquote, all these number twos. So it will spread out the offense and give DeAndre Hopkins more open looks. So I I think this benefits DeAndre Hopkins going back to the Titans, but it also, if you're a Derrick Henry fan, and Derrick Henry, this is his final year, he he took the franchise tag, this is his final year as a Titan, so he's got a lot to prove if he wants a big contract next year from another team, so this could be beneficial for Derrick Henry. Uh, John also says Patriots didn't want him because the rumor that he didn't want they didn't want that attitude where he didn't want to go to workouts and such. I would say that if they don't get D Hop, they will go after Cook. Uh, oh, they also signed Leonard Fournette today. Yes. Oh, the Patriots get Leonard Fournette. Uh, yeah, Carl, it's interesting. They need another running back. I'm sure Jeff is going to make an excuse for that. Yeah, Carl also says Hopkins put Titans as a 1A. Yeah, it, it depends on how healthy they are because you're right. Their defense is still very good when it is healthy. They had so many injuries last year, and it really destroyed they them. They were 7-3 like the Jets. They were, and again, they shouldn't have collapsed the way they Their did Their offensive either. line got injured, yeah. and they couldn't stay healthy, and they couldn't pre- protect Ryan Tannehill. I'm not saying Ryan Tannehill is a superstar quarterback, but he no. could get you in the playoffs. Right. He could, and if they have the weapons on the outside, which they gave up, Julio Jones, who was just an absolute waste, and A.J. Brown, why would you trade? 
trade away your best option, your best weapon to an Eagles team that went all the way to the Super Bowl, and he was one of the main reasons why they were there. Right. It didn't make sense. And now adding DeAndre Hopkins. Could you imagine if A.J. Brown and DeAndre Hopkins were on the same team? How scary that offense would be. And it's not like Julio Jones at the end of his career. DeAndre Hopkins still has a little bit of gas left. I think DeAndre Hopkins could put up numbers. I still think DeAndre Hopkins could be a top 11, top 10 wide receiver in the NFL if he stays healthy. Yeah, again, the question will remain with mostly with their offensive line because Tennessee's always had a good offensive line. They've drafted offensive linemen very well. Even when their teams were bad, they always seem to find good talent in the draft, but they lost a lot of it between Lawan getting cut this year. They, they got rid of Ben Jones. Roger Saffold's been gone. So they're really banking on a lot of these draft picks that they've had. Now they have another guy who was a starting right tackle in Friere who got suspended, one of the guys that was suspended for gambling uh, last a couple weeks ago. So yeah. they're going to have it very hard as it is, and that makes it harder, too, for a lot of these older guys to get it going, too, when you don't have those quicker releases of the line of scrimmage. Now, Hopkins, again, I'm not saying he has super slow at the line of scrimmage, but again, his release is definitely still not the same as what it was in his peak, and same kind of thing with Derrick Henry, too. He's still going to lose a little bit of it as well. Uh, John says, Derrick Henry will be on the Saints next year. You heard it here first. I, I, you're going to have to figure out Kamara. If that's the case, you're not going to hold those, both of those running backs. Kamara's still under contract. Yeah. They're going to have to get rid of it. That's going to affect their cap. It doesn't right. make sense. I think the Saints have other issues they got to worry about them rather than just a running back. They just gave Derrick Carr a lot of money. They gave him a, a significant amount of money. And, and when everybody was saying that they were way over the salary cap. And I don't know how they, they made room for a guy like Derek Carr. But they did. They figured it out. It's not going to be so easy. Look at the Cowboys. Look at where how desperate they have been over the last couple of years for the money they've invested into players that shouldn't be getting. They shouldn't be getting. Ezekiel Elliott being one of them. Making yep. about $15 million a year. They finally opened their eyes and said, you know, we need to get rid of them. So, again, we could go back and forth, and we can argue, you know, the running back position not being very, very important. The quarterback position means everything. But there are specific positions that you need to fill in, and you need to make sure you have going into a season if you want to be a contender. And to me, wide receiver, especially a team like the Tennessee Titans, if they didn't add DeAndre Hopkins and they, they, they struck out on him and he went to the Patriots or wherever he, he was going to decide to go – I really think the Titans would have been an under 500 team this year. Now, you can argue that they're going to be either a 10-win team or 11-win team, depending on how their schedule works out for them. They're going to have to play Jacksonville twice. They're going to have to beat Jacksonville at least once, and quite possibly could. But Jacksonville's a lot better, too. And whoever wins that division, I, I still think a wild card could come out of that division. But with the AFC East being as good as it is, the uh, obviously, the North being very, very good. And, and the North is a very easy schedule yes. this year, too. <laughs> I mean, Baltimore's better. The Bengals are going to be good with Joe Burrow. There's a lot. The Steelers you can, had a really good offseason, yeah, too. Yeah, the Steelers. Uh, the Browns with Deshaun Watson having a full season with that team and adding Elijah Moore. They're going to have weapons now to help out a guy like Cooper. So it, there's there's a lot that could happen this year. And, and the AFC is loaded, super loaded. And, and you can argue that some of these teams or one of these teams or two of these teams could fall out of it even with a 9 or 10 win season. Right, and especially in that division, too. Like, you really are going to need to push harder for that kind of thing, too, because, because the Jags and Titans are probably still fighting it out. But, again, 
that if they both can try to feast on the other two teams right away, they can still elevate themselves to the 10-win spot, even with a little less talent than probably a lot of those teams in the AFC East and the AFC North, which I think talent-wise, perspectively, you got the Dolphins, the Bengals, and the Jets, and the Bills. Like, there's a lot of talent teams better than the Jags and the Titans right now. Connor Hughes, breaking news. Well, it was about an hour ago that the Jets are trading Denzel Mims to Detroit to the Detroit Lions, sources say, for a seventh-round pick. So it looks like Denzel Mims will no longer be a New York Jet, as the Jets came out and said that they are going to look to trade for him. And you have to give Joe Douglas a lot of credit, because when you when you hear a story coming out that if they can't trade him, they're going to waive him and let him go, and then he can go wherever he wants, the Jets still got something for him. And he, I, I think it's still a seventh-round draft. I think he was better than a seventh-round draft pick. I think Denzel Mims going to the Lions is going to give him an explosive big wide receiver on the outside, which uh, the Lions desperately need. Oh. I, I mean, they don't have that kind of guy. And, and I, I like Brown, and I like what they've done over the last couple of years building this offense and even building this defense with Hutchinson. They're, they're going to be a fun team to watch. Maybe Denzel Mims going somewhere else. Uh, obviously... Uh, a guy that came from Baylor who never really got his respect. The Jets drafted him in the second round. I, I think, if I'm not mis- mistaken, it was it was his it was Joe Douglas's second draft. Yeah, and it just hasn't worked out here in New York for Denzel Mims. Maybe learning the offense, it's a little harder to learn the the, the West Coast offense the way they ran it. And maybe their coaching, a.k.a. Mike, you know who, didn't know what he was doing either as an offensive coordinator. And that's why he's the offensive coordinator for a guy named Sean over there with the Rams. So, and also, you've also seen the de- the development of these bigger bodied receivers that still need to like really develop their route tree, just develop slower as a whole, too. Traylon Burks, I was just talking about with the Titans, like he didn't really get a chance to develop his route tree because one, he was hurt, but two, he's also that bigger body type that's not as quick off the line of scrimmage, too. Same kind of thing in that same draft. I love LaVisca Chenault, and he's had the same problem when he entered the NFL, too, with, with Jacksonville and then with the Panthers. Who do we have on the phone? Jeff is back. Jeff, what's up? How are you, Uh You know, we talked earlier about uh, Denzel Mims, and you thought he could go for, like, a third or a fourth, fourth round. Fourth round pick. I said fourth or fifth right. round pick. Right. Like and, say. and and, and he w- he's only good enough for a, tr- for a pick swap because it's the Jets uh, are giving up Mims in the seventh rounder. For a six rounder. Oh, I thought it was the so seventh it, round they got for Mims. Yeah, no, they ch- they changed it up. Early on, it was Mims for a seventh rounder, and then they deleted the trade, and now it looks like it's Mims in a seventh rounder for a six round pick from the Lions. Mm. Right? But I'm just wondering if this changes your view on Joe Douglas's draft. You've been very big on saying how great he is at drafting, but they've missed uh, at number two on quarterback. They've pretty much missed. Uh, on Denzel Mims, they've pretty much missed on Makai Becton. Now that he's had some nice hits with Garrett Wilson and uh, uh, Sauce Gardner, but 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 he's had a lot. Michael of Clemens, now. he's good with Michael Clemens. <clears throat> he looks like a good player. Uh, he's well, hit on some. Drafted a guy in the first round last year that couldn't even get on the field. The defensive end from Florida State. Well, that's Johnson because they have a lot of depth. <clears throat> At the position that he was going to play at well, defensive then don't end. Trap that guy, then that's not good either. Well, well, hold but on they one second. Supposed to have that at the start of the season. No, no they weren't. Expected. And yeah. and and Johnson's going to play ext- a, a significant amount this year. We're going to see it on hard knocks as they came out and said <laughs> that they, they expect him to start, and I expect him to start well, this year. Just saying, you, you've you've touted, and I don't want this to devolve into some argument and screaming, but you've always touted these picks 
and now this is three very high picks. Jeff, stop it. Two first Stop it. So, okay, see, come this on. This is what you're doing. You're getting defensive. Stop you're it. I'm not being also. defensive. Why? Because I said Denzel, and he'll go to the Lions, and he'll become a wide, good wide receiver. He didn't understand the offense with the West Coast offense with Mike LaFleur, and obviously it didn't work out here in New York. Uh, obviously didn't. When he played his first year, he was one of the top four wide receivers in a draft class where everybody says it was 14 deep. Everybody was saying that he was he was a top four wide receiver, and he played how many games that year? And then all of a sudden, they changed it to Robert Sala. They turned it into a different offense. He didn't understand the offense, and it, he didn't he didn't transition into the player they thought he was going to. Now he's going to a Lions team that likes to run and throw. He will fit in that offense, and it but might that's work a out miss for the Jets. But that's a miss for the Jets. Fine, uh, whatever. Coach. It's a but miss for the Jets. They- who cares? They have the coach in place when the draft takes place. So that's communication between the coach and the and the GM saying, this guy will or won't fit my scheme, right? So they drafted the guy thinking he would fit, and he, and he hasn't. And Mekhi Becton really hasn't gotten on the field, and Zach Wilson has been not very good. So, like, as time has gone on, he's very much hit or miss Joe Douglas with his draft picks because as many hits as he had, he's had a couple of good ones. But keep in he's mind also, Jeff, too, too, he was drafted for Gase's offense originally. And when that's that what did, I was saying. When that didn't work and they brought in Michael Fleur, <clears throat> who was supposed to be a more modern type of route-running precision-type offense, he didn't really fit that because his route tree was very small as it was coming out of the draft where he was kind of that bigger-bodied, outside specialist type who needs to improve his deep threat ability. And that type of receiver really wasn't that type right, of player. But they, right. But, but defending limbs on this is one thing. And that's fine. Right? If you can go through that, but Zach Wilson and Makai Becton, and there's been other misses. Well, hold on. Makai Becton is not a Douglas drafts very well. McKay, and it hasn't turned out that way. Makai Becton is not a hit. He's not a miss. Okay. Uh, he, he has been so far. His first year, he was one of the best offensive linemen in all of football. And what did he do the last two years? I, he was injured. And then if he comes back and this so year. what's the best ability? Uh, stop it with it. Stop with the availability bullcrap. All I'm saying is, is when yeah, he does a, when he's on the field, he's a good mm-hmm. offensive lineman. Now, if he stays healthy this year. On the field. Okay. And, and you know what I, my prediction is? He's going to have a good season this year. And you know who's going to pick him up in the offseason? The New England Patriots. That's just going to happen. <laughs> and then you'll I find mean, a way maybe, to make I excuses mean, maybe, for him. But, but up to this point, Makai Becton has been a mess. Come on, dude. Like. <laughs> And he may have a good year. I'm not saying he can't have a good year, but up until this point, it's been a mess. Right? The Zach last Wilson's two seasons. Not a hit. Zach, Zach Wilson's certainly not it's a hit. It's a strikeout. He drafted himself. Right, right. So, like, I mean, come on, dude. He's had now as many misses as he's had hits, and it's... It's not good but for early in the you draft. can you can obviously draft two or three guys in a three year span and they become superstars and they can change your organization for the better and it doesn't matter what they did it doesn't matter where he drafted and how bad the drafts were in the earlier earlier years when he took over the Jets they're going to worry about now and where this team is going to go and if this team goes to an AFC title I'm just saying AFC title game makes the playoffs or maybe even goes to a Super Bowl and Sauce Garner and Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall become those superstars and Johnson and these guys that they brought in if any of these four or all of these four guys really transition and help this team go all the way or even make the Super Bowl nobody's going to say but nobody's going to talk about Zach Wilson Nobody's going to talk about Elijah Vera Tucker, too, a very good draft pick. Who who was? uh, Yes, very good. Uh, No, there's no doubt he was very good. But but drafting players that come in can come in and contribute is a big part to team building. Mm -hmm. And so while they could be good now, the fact that he's missing on draft picks isn't good long term for the Jets. That's all I'm saying. 
But keep in mind, too, like one of the reasons we were talking about with Jermaine Johnson, mm -hmm. one of the reasons he wasn't on the field so much is because other guys that were drafted later played well. Like Clemens, like Errol was saying, was a fourth round pick or fifth round pick. Bryce Huff had a great, great year as like that role pass rusher type. He was a fourth or fifth round pick. And a lot of those other pass rush depth that they weren't supposed to have at the start of the year played better than expected. Right, but for the most part, if you're taken in the first round, you're expected to be a starter. And let's keep in mind, they also gave up other draft assets to move up to get them. So those could have been other players that you said, oh, we could take later. They could fill holes. They gave up those assets to go and get them and then didn't play. His first draft was not good. His second draft was better. And then after his second draft, the third, the fourth, they have been very good. And they've gotten better. And I, and but, I, but, we've, but we've heard since day one he's been so great at drafting. But you, you, have to, you have to look at the four years that he's been drafting. If you look at all the players that he's brought in and what they're transitioning and turning into, yeah, they have been good. You look at Elijah Vera Tucker. This guy could be an all-pro player. Sauce Garner was an all-pro player. Garrett, Garrett Wilson will probably be an all-pro all pro player at one point. Brees Hall, probably if he stayed healthy, was going to be an all-pro player. You're talking about guys that you picked in the same drift. Johnson, we don't know what he is, and I'm not going to say anything until we see him on the field for a significant amount of time. Elijah Vera Tucker is a fantastic player. And, and you, you, just, you just say this, and McDonald, everything no, that we've read about McDonald, everything that I'm we've not... read about McDonald, they're saying that this kid it could even be a, a big asset to this team, especially when they run certain, for, run certain formations. Right, but you've been touting their drafts since Joe Douglas got there, and that's what he's known for. And now his first two drafts are up and smoke. They're okay. gone. Okay, so what? And again, I mean, that's not good drafting. If you look at if if you look at the four years he's been there, and you average the players that he has brought in, and what they're turning into now, I think he's been a good drafter. Elijah Vera Tucker, if he's, he's had some really good draft, but he's had some really good draft picks. But you're also trying to tip the scale towards your side. No, I'm not. You meant, you, you, no, I'm not, I'll Jeff. Give I'll no, give I'm you not. the example on how you're trying to tip how? the scale. Brees Hall, mm -hmm. and I like Brees Hall. But he played six games, and because you saw six games, you're calling him an all-pro and going to be great. Well, he tore his ACL, mm -hmm. and generally they may not be as good going forward, but you're throwing him in there like, what a great draft pick. It may not be a great draft pick. Mm. Brees Hall, everything that we we have heard is he is— Because you saw him six games. Not, listen, it doesn't matter. He was on his way. He was on his way, and he did it against good defenses, too, the way he was you running the ball. Bro, you know what? Robert Edwards for the Patriots, he was on his way. He oh, played stop. a little bit of—you're uh, going, oh, stop, and I'm giving you the example. Robert Edwards was uh, one of the best how was, how was the drafts with uh, your Bill Belichick over the last couple of years? How many all-pro players has he had? How many? Uh, how many? Uh, not, not a ton, but— you can't compare Bill Belichick drafting because he's drafted more Hall. Of, we went through the list of Belichick. He's drafting. been there for twenty five years. How many Hall of Famers does he have to draft in the first round to get a little bit of credit? It doesn't matter. He's been there for twenty five years. It doesn't matter now. No, no doesn't because matter. you're you're taking shot. You're taking shots at Joe Douglas. Joe Douglas has really in the last two years drafted possibly two, three or four, four All Pro sucked. players. Yeah, you know and how the, hard it is to do that. How hard is it to do that? Okay. And it's, he's been there for four years. If you average out what he's done in the first two years and four year, in, in, in all of for four years, I would say he's a good drafter. Yes, I would. And for you to argue that is ridiculous. 
Uh, no, I'm saying that he, uh, see, here's the problem. I've said that he's had some good picks, mm -hmm. but a lot of his high picks have been complete swings and misses. And you can go, oh, but who's Belichick drafted? Yeah, you want to know what? He hasn't been great early, but if you want to if you want to use the whole draft, Kyle Duggar has been yeah. great. Josh Uche has been great. Cole Strange, who everyone was like, oh, he shouldn't be drafted there. Starter. It was Cole a strange Strange's pick at the time. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah, and you want to know what? He's been great, right? Uh, Ramondre Stevenson, he's been great. Damian Harris was great for them. Right? You can go through all the draft picks. They've been great. Maybe not early, but they've been great as a total. Great. So you're, you're, great. Yeah, I, they, I mean, dude, I mean Kyle Dunker. And Kyle Dunker any good? He's good, yeah. I would say so. Yeah. He's really good. Let me ask you a question, yeah. Jeff. All these great players that they drafted, yeah, and even the quarterback that you can't stand, all right, Mac Jones. Oh, I, think, oh, I, think that, I think that's a terrible mistake. Alabama quarterbacks are trash. <laughs> I'll stand by it till the day that I die. Name one good Alabama quarterback, and don't give me Jalen Hurts. That's Oklahoma. <laughs> University of Oklahoma Sooners, Jalen Hurts. When was the last time? Enough for Alabama. They threw him out of Alabama. When was Leave the... Alabama, they said. When was the last time the Patriots got out of the first round? Oh, it's been a few years, but yeah, they've been in a rebuilding mode. And by the way, for rebuilding, they've mm -hmm. still been pretty strong, haven't they? Well, well, I like what Bill Belichick does with the defense. He understands how <clears throat> to run a defense in a scheme and, and run that scheme to the top of the league. He's done it for years. He doesn't need top Jack offenses. And when Jack he had Jones Tom Brady, he... Jack Jones, any good at quarterback? He was, yeah. I was surprised. What fourth happened? I didn't know what he said. Yeah. Jack Jones right. yeah, yeah. in the fourth round. I was surprised yeah. he played as right. well as he did. Yeah. Right. Mark, Mark, Marcus Jones, any good? Yes. And, but before you say Marcus Jones isn't any good, go back to when he returned the, the punt against the Jets to win the game. I'd say that's pretty good. Yeah, he's a future Cordero Patterson. I can see that kind of thing. <gasps> I don't think he's right. that good. I don't think he's that good. I think you're out of your mind. <laughs> so. I mean... I mean, a guy that can play both special teams, offense, and defense, he's no good. Cordero no Paris good. Patterson was a punt returner, no question, but he's a good <clears throat> running back and a good wide receiver. I, I do not believe... The funny thing is he's not even a running back. He's a wide receiver. They transitioned to running back, and he's been the best player for the Falcons the past couple of years. Yes, he has. John says uh, Vince Wilfork was drafted in the first round. Let's hope he makes the Hall of Fame because they disrespect nose tackles. He, he, he mentioned Vince <clears throat> Wilfork. When was he Patriots drafted? How long ago? <laughs> yeah, it's been a while, but yeah. he also drafted Richard Seymour in the first round mm -hmm. and a ton of other dudes. He's had a lot of really good drafts. And in these last couple of drafts, sure, the first round hasn't been like eye-popping, but Cole Strange has still been a start and been very good, and they've still drafted a shit ton of good players. And so when you're talking about, oh, what, Bill Belichick done any good? Hey, Speedy, do you think Bill Belichick's had good drafts? I think the draft this year was very good, too. Right, exactly. They probably got, and out of Earl's lips to God's ears, the steal of the draft in the first round this year. That's an Earl quote. <laughs> Who's that? Gonzalez. <laughs> I did. I like Gonzalez. I like Gonzalez. And because think about this. He, Christian Gonzalez was projected a top, ten, top, like top, top ten, five. Like, Some people right, had him on well, top well, five. Well, the late, but like five to eight is where they expected right. him to go. And, and the Patriots got him at 17. Listen, they get lucky. Teams, and teams traded back lucky. to get picks, got more value. Listen, hey, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not taking shots at Bill Belichick for you, you to sit here and tell me oh, in a four-year span. If you're going to tell me in a four-year I'm telling you in a four-year span who's had a better draft in a four-year span. I'm telling you Joe Douglas. Joe Douglas. Hey, Speedy, yes, hey, Speedy, that's what I think. He said he just said he wasn't mm -hmm. taking shots at Bill Belichick. I wasn't. Wasn't, that, I wasn't. wasn't he the one? 
I said Bill Bill Belichick is drafted any good? No, No, I really, my opinion, my opinion, if he drafted so well, if he drafted so well, why are they supposed to be one of the worst teams in their division? Oh, because they drafted so well. Oh, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Bill Belichick, the greatest coach of all time. Stop it, Jeff. Name a team without a quarterback that's good. Name a team without a quarterback. What are you talking about? Name a team without a quarterback that's good. The Titans. The Titans. Ryan Tannehill. They stink. They got drugged last year because their offensive line broke apart last year. And if you Mac Jones is just as bad as Ryan Tannehill. Okay, they're both That's terrible. What I'm That's a, you're making my point. No, I'm not. No, I'm not because you just you did you not tell me what team has not been as good without a good with a bad quarterback. I just said Ryan Tannehill. You're arguing your point. I gave yeah, you one. Team, I gave you one. If you don't have a quarterback, your team is no good. Miami. The Miami Dolphins last year started a third-string quarterback. They made the playoffs, did they not? Did they? Because they went undefeated with a lucky left-hander. And then all of a sudden, when that guy went down, because they were 8-0. And they had a third-string quarterback that got him into the playoffs. Right, because they had no quarterback, and they went, what, 2 or 3 and 6? But you just told me, name a team. I'm naming you teams. You want me to go more? I can look up. The Browns almost made the playoffs without a quarterback most of the year to last year. The, they were one the game Dolphins back. Didn't have, the Dolphins didn't have a quarterback. Skylar Thompson was their quarterback. How did that work out? It didn't. They almost won against the Bills in they a playoff They almost beat game. the Bills. <laughs> oh, they pretty almost good. won. Yeah. Oh, well, Jalen Waddle catches let's, two passes he normally catches. They might win that game. Oh, oh, they must have won the Super Bowl of almost, right? Is that what it is? Mm. They won the Super Bowl of almost. Well, they almost won. Oh, well, Considering Jets, everyone was Jets thinking almost, that game was going to be a blowout. <laughs> the, the Jets almost made it to the playoffs last year. Let's hang the banner. Mm. But again, you're talking about a third-string quarterback. They're supposed to get blown up by 20 in that game. They lost 34 How about 31. this? How about this? That it How, about, How about this? To throw you a curveball because you like to take shots at them. The Cowboys, Dak Prescott, they made the playoffs. They went all I, the way. I, the way. I, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? Let's hear it. Let's hear no, it. No, no, no. Let's hear we, it. No, we had no. We had a conversation about this earlier, and I'm going to reference this now. We talked about how stupid the beef is, and I agree with you. He's very stupid, right? Because Dak Prescott is finally a pretty decent quarterback. He still needs some improvement, but he's finally pretty decent, and the beef hates him. But when he sucked, Beave was running around yelling and screaming, "We're going to win three Super Bowls in a row." How about Seattle? Anybody think Geno Smith is going to put up the numbers that he did last well, year? I don't. They didn't make the playoffs. Yeah, they, they did. did. Yes, they did. Yes, he did. Okay. Yes, he oh, did. They did make the playoffs. Geno Smith. Oh, better. stop. He's stop. Like stop new, it. He's, no, no, no. He's like the new Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's been around so long. He can get it done. He's like the new Trent Dilfer. He's not very good. No matter what team I say, guy. you're going to find a way to argue it. So it doesn't no, matter. Speedy, would you agree that Geno Smith has just been around so long? He's Honestly, honestly, I'll give you another one that didn't make the playoffs, but everybody likes him this year. Jared Goff, the Lions. Another guy. But Jared Goff used to run the number one offense in football. People forget he's a very good quarterback. He's been single-handedly dragging a downtrodden team uh, up this whole time. And he's got his work cut out for him with, with most of his wide receivers suspended now. That's why they traded for Denzel Mims. Jamison Williams is going to miss another eight games this year. Right. And they also traded Hawkinson at the trade deadline last year, too, which didn't help his tight end production. Right. Except against the Jets, where all those guys caught three touchdowns. So that seems a lot better off for having Jared Goff. Well, yeah. I, again, I, I don't think so. I think 
what what it is is in today's yeah, NFL, you need at least a, that level of a quarterback to do. Like you're not gonna have a team. Maybe the, maybe I guess once in a blue moon you will like the Seahawks or Geno Smith coming didn't out. Didn't the nowhere. Steelers make the playoffs? No, last year? they didn't. But they, they almost they, did. They no, they, yeah, they lost on the tiebreaker. They to don't the have. Dolphins. They don't. Yeah. They don't really have a quarterback. Yeah. No, they lost on the tiebreaker to the Dolphins, but they still had a winning season, nine and eight. And well, they, they were mostly they, I mean, you can say they don't really have a quarterback, but again, they didn't make the playoffs. And Kenny Pickett was also a rookie, and I think Kenny Pickett improved. See, no matter I mentioned, I mentioned somebody else, and I they barely made the playoffs, and you'll find a way to argue that Look, too. Dude, hey, no, 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 no. I'll tell you right now. You want to trade me Kenny Pickett for Mac Jones straight up right now? I'll do it because we're four seasons in with Mac Jones, and he still looks. I retarded. don't believe Mac Jones is as bad as you think he is. I don't. You need to go. How how good was he last year? Who was his offensive coordinators? Are you oh, kidding well, me? Who's moving the goalposts? I... Okay, so last year wasn't very good. All right, and, and you're going to blame the coaches. Fine. Let's let's go to the year before. How good was the year before? He was up for rookie of the good. year. He was up for rookie of the year. Yes, he was. That, uh, that, no, that was three seasons. No, ago. it uh, wasn't. Twenty twenty one. Yes, it was twenty twenty one. What's what was what was it? They won a national championship. Twenty twenty one. When they beat Ohio State, that was the 2020-2021 college football season. Then he was. It was twenty twenty one. It was. This was his second year. I think this is Ben Joseph's. No, year, no, it was his he second year. He was drafted year. in twenty twenty one, not twenty twenty. Oh, I'm still having Cam Newton flashbacks. Jesus. Yes, Cam Newton was twenty twenty when the, he was up for rookie yeah. of the year, and you were arguing he should have won rookie of do, the year. Do you do you remember the surfer girl that had her arm? Yes, Stephanie yes. Hamilton, I believe, was her yes. name. Yeah. I would rather her throw the football for the Patriots with her nub than Mac Jones. You're so mean wow. to this guy. This guy. Damn. This guy played very, very well his rookie season, took his team to the playoffs. Everybody was like, wow, this guy This guy was for real. He was the best quarterback. Everybody said he was the best quarterback in that class. When everybody, He was drafted at 16. I am praying to God he doesn't suck out loud next year. And Because let's face it, they should have won even last year. They're de- be honest now. The Patriots' defense was so lights out. And good they were fantastic. They, they should have won far more games if they didn't. But they didn't because of uh, there was a bad call in Minnesota. That was a touchdown the by Raiders, Hunter Henry. Yeah, so the that, Raiders, yeah. Right, that is what it is. Bad calls happen. But they still should have won more than that just that one game. They should have had three or four more wins because of how good their team was. And Mac Jones couldn't get it done. Why? Alabama. <laughs> they should have definitely beaten the Bears, too, when they, they got blown out by that Monday night game. So. Right. And, yeah. and, and by the way, who was the best quarterback in that Bears game? Justin Fields. Bailey Zappi. Oh, Bailey Zappi. Patriots. Yeah, Bailey Zappi is second quarter of wonder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Everyone wanted to, to, to have a quarterback controversy the rest of the year. All so the Patriots fans that. loved So him. think about that. We had a fifth-round quarterback come in who played it. I mean, did he play at Bowling Green? Or Western Eastern Kentucky or something like that, or, yeah. Or, yeah, maybe Eastern or Western Kentucky. Yeah. He played at a hick university in the middle of the nowhere where no one saw him play, and he was better than Mac Jones. Alabama produces trash. Get him off my football team. <laughs> Jeff, thank you for calling. <laughs> I hate Mac Jones. <laughs> <laughs> And he mostly hates Mac Jones because he was pick, a pick before his boys named Collins. Let's not forget about Did that. I named about three or four teams, and he was arguing those points. I, I mean, I knew he was going to argue when I named those teams. I even named Dak Prescott, and then all of a sudden he was going back and forth trying to make excuses for it. I mean, let, let's, let's face it. Dak looks like a pro bowler compared to Mac Jones. So. Well, first of all, Mac Jones had 
two offensive coordinators last year, and two of them that never been offensive coordinators. Yeah. I mean, now he has O'Brien. I think O'Brien, Bill O'Brien's absolutely going to make the offense more fun to watch this year. And with, obviously, the how many number twos that they have, four that Jeff says, and all the running backs, and even the offensive line play last year in the second half, I, I think the Patriots are going to put up numbers. The question is, is Mac Jones going to be able to be able to stand in the pocket and make the plays. If he does, I, I think Mac Jones has enough weapons to to compete. I just don't know if they're going to be able to beat uh, the other teams ahead of them in the AFC East because it's so good. You have the Buffalo Bills, you got Josh Allen, you got Tua, and obviously you have Aaron Rodgers now. You, it's not an easy. It's the hardest division in football, yeah. and you got to play them all four, all all three of those teams six times. John so. brings up a good point, too. 49ers didn't have a really great quarterback play consistently last year either. They had a you know, cycle but of here, here's, yeah. here's the thing. Coaching and, I, and weapons, yeah. First of all, and I'm just going to let everybody know this, look at their schedule in the second half of the season. Their last eight games was pretty simple. Honestly, they put Brock Purdy in. They were, I think, I think six out of the eight teams were under 500. Uh, yeah, probably. I think Seattle was over 500. I think the Buccaneers yeah, they were played over 500. C- yeah, yeah. They, they didn't play that many teams over 500 when Purdy was playing. So I know everybody loves what Brock Purdy did last year, and it was pretty amazing what he did. And and taking his team all the way to an NFC title game, great for him. Who did he beat? And then when he finally ran into a good defensive team, they beat the hell out of him. Oh, as they, yeah. And he hurt his arm. arm. Yeah. He hurt his arm. Yeah. So, again, you sit here and you say, well, they did it without a quarterback. They did it without a quarterback in, 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 in an NFC conference that was crap. Okay? That's what it was. It was crap. And they played crappy teams in the last eight games of the season. They probably had one of the easiest schedules in the NFC. Uh, John says Patriots are going to run the ball more than throw it uh, this year. They always do. Probably. They always do. Uh, Jeff says 49ers also probably the best roster in football. Like I said, one of the most versatile offenses, too. And now we have Kenny on the line. Kenny, what's up, man? (laughs) When are you going to own up on your bet? Which one? The Giants bet? Yeah, it is the summer. Uh, I told you when the season starts and we go into week eight, with Brandon Jacobs, because Brandon Jacobs is going to have to live up to his bet, um, you'll have a chance to possibly meet Brandon Jacobs. Now, I didn't say I was going to bring you to a football game, but uh, you'll you'll get a chance to meet a giant. I told you I would live up to my my bet. I mean, you still owe me a turkey dinner, but, <laughs> you know, but I will live up to my bet. Or at least Kenny got the paint again. <laughs> yes, he did. I don't owe a turkey dinner now. Oh, well, you did. and I Five waited. years ago. Five years ago, you lost the bet, and you never gave me it. We went double or nothing. I, I, five years later. Okay. <laughs> so As a uh, cover-up for your uh, yes. overdue uh, it's okay. Thanksgiving of 2018. I, I'm a man of my word, and I will give you your bets. I said I would. And uh, on the week eight, when the Giants play the Jets, I believe Brandon Jacobs will be coming up here because he is going to lose this bet. And you, my friend, will get a chance to meet Brandon Jacobs. Okay? Sounds amazing. Yes. And I will actually take you to dinner, but you can't come to the game with us. So I promised you a dinner and a hangout with an ex-Giant or a Giant on the roster, and I will live up to my bet. So, 
unlike some people five years later. I <laughs> <laughs> was supposed to be for the whole third of the long show, Thanksgiving dinner, and it never came to fruition, Caddy. You're still very disappointed. Hey, listen, I, I, I understand how you are, Kenny. And um, I, I again, I will live up to my bet. I said I would. And uh, Brandon and me have a bet, and he will live up to his bet. If it, if it happens, he's coming up anyways, and I'm taking him to a game and dinner. So even even if that happens, I will make sure that you will get a chance to meet Brandon Jacobs and, and come out to dinner with us. So Okay, all right. All right. So I, I will live up to my bet, Kenny. Don't you worry about it. Okay. You have anything else to say before we let you go? How are those Yankees? They, they look like <laughs> crap, okay? They look like crap. I, and we, we, we were speaking to Nelson Figueroa, Figueroa, and he was pretty much telling us the same thing. But I know Nelson, he's a Met guy. So he was trying to yeah. make excuses for the Mets and saying, oh, the Mets can, you know, eventually maybe they'll put up a couple of wins together and they can catch maybe one of these wild cards. Do you think teams. the Yankees will make the playoffs? I still think the Yankees, I still think the Yankees are going to make the playoffs. I do. I, I just think they're not this bad. I, I really don't think they are. And I do not believe the Yankees are going to be sellers like everybody thinks they're going to be at the tra- trade deadline, which is a couple of weeks away. I believe they're going to be buyers. And if there are two or three players that they could put in this lineup to help them out, even if they have to trade prospects to bring them in, the Yankees will do it. So I, I don't think the Yankees are out. They're only eight and a half games out of first place. And they have, what, 77 games left? That is still doable. For They've Vegas. got time. They can make the playoffs. They're, it's doable. I think they're, what, three games out of a play wild card spot? The yeah, because the Red Sox got hot, so I think they just passed the Yankees now. But the Blue Jays still hold the last wild card spot. It, it, they're like three games out of five, uh, three games out of a playoff spot. The Yankees what could about, go. Uh, the Mets? I don't think the Mets. I don't the Mets think are going to have to hope they, this pitching keeps up. They, like Nelson was saying, they've pitched better in July, thankfully. But still, they have to do it in a much larger sample first. And the Yankees' bullpen right now has not looked good. And we knew this was going to happen in the second half. They were, they were going to go into the second half like they did last year. They just got to stay healthy. I think right. they'll figure things out as long as they stay healthy, which they are healthy right now. And Luizaga will be back and everybody's, it, everything will start to fall together. I believe they will pitch better. The bullpen is much better than it has shown in the second half. Once it does, they'll figure it out. I, I, I do not believe this team is as bad as they've been over the last 10 games, and I think they're 2-8 and eight in the last 10 games. They're much better than this. And I, I don't like their roster. I don't like the, their lineup. But I still believe that Brian Cashman will make at least one or two moves to help this roster, help this lineup, and especially in the middle of the lineup, that will help them get over the hump and maybe make it as a wild card team. So I think the Yankees are still in it. There's a lot of games left, and for anybody to think it's over, it's ridiculous. Right, because the Red Sox are also not going to stay this hot no. forever either. Well, Red Sox aren't even that good. Yeah, the, the, the Blue Jays you could, you could see because they have a lot of talent. Like the Yankees, they've had a lot of injury issues too with their pitching as the well. The Red Sox are a game ahead of the Yankees. Yeah, and I, again, I, I think the Blue Jays are the bigger threat right now. They're just a little more sustainable with the talent that they have too. And then in the American League West, mm-hmm. it's really the battle of the Rangers. The, the Yankees Astros. play Toronto, I think, 10 more times. The Yankees play the, the Red Sox, I think, about seven more times. Right. Uh, they have a chance to catch these teams. Mm-hmm. They're ahead of them. They're, they're going to be matched up against them. They got to go win in. the majority. They could catch them. They, they, and, and, and I believe the Yankees will get hot in, in, in the month of August and they'll win 10 or eight games in a row. And 
they'll they'll make some trades at the trade deadline. I think the Yankees will be in it. I don't know if they're going to make it. I think they will. But for anybody to think that the Yankees are out, they're not. And and it's ridiculous that people are just saying, all right, just just trade away the team now. Start over again. They're not doing that. And Brian Cashman's not doing that. And there's also too many players that have such big contracts, too, that other teams are not going to be able to afford or take they're on. They're not doing it. Yeah, it just doesn't make a lot of and, sense and for and, and Josh, me and Jeff were talking about this today. And, and, and I will say this, and, and I'll say this to Josh to be nice about it. Josh said there's no way the Yankees could get Otani. If Donaldson will be off off the roster next year, Savarino will be off the roster. Right there is about fifty million dollars. If they want Otani and Otani, if Otani wants fifty million dollars from the Yankees and they really want him and he really will take the Yankees, he'll be a Yankee. So for for anybody to think that the Yankees can't get Otani, Jeff and me were talking about it today. It's quite possible. I don't think they are. No, I think I he's either. going to the Dodgers. I believe that's where he's heading. I, I, I don't think they are either. But no. you know. But they'll be in the run for him, and I think the Yankees will offer him $500 million. I, I really do believe in the offseason the Yankees will offer him. Or he wants to stay a West Coaster, that's why I heard. He wants to be right. closer to his and family. Again, you look at the, there's a lot of good teams on the West Coast, too. That makes it very difficult for uh, yeah. any, any East Coast competitions to be the same. Because it's really just the New York teams on the East Coast. I haven't heard really anyone else on the East Coast being rumored to show Otani as it was. So it's really right. just coming down to the Dodgers, the Giants, maybe because they push for Aaron Judge, didn't get him, and push for Carlos Correa didn't get him. Maybe that's their big swing they'll try, especially to steal him from the Dodgers. We've also heard Seattle, too, because yep. um, obviously the connections with Ichiro over there, too. Like, I don't something. think he's going to Seattle. Probably not, but again, if they give him a lot more money than the other teams, it's possible. I expect San Francisco to offer him $600 million. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. I think they'll offer him all the money in the world. Uh, especially when they struck out on Correa. Right. I, I believe they will do everything they possibly can to get uh, a guy like Otani over there in San Francisco, which is, San Francisco is a good team. Yes. And you put him on that roster in that rotation, a very good rotation, a very good yeah, ballpark. One more question yes, for you. go ahead. Who am I having dinner with again? <laughs> uh, on the 8th, uh, the week 8 for, not the 8th, but on week 8, of the NFL season, the Giants are playing the Jets. No matter what happens, either I or Brandon Jacobs is going to take all of us to dinner and a game. You're not coming to the game. I promised you a dinner and, and meet and greet with an ex-Giant or a Giant that's playing the, right now. So you will get a chance to meet Brandon Jacobs and his son, his son Braden, uh, who is... Future offensive right. lineman for the New York Giants. I don't need to go games. Dinner is fine. <laughs> You'll get a chance to meet him, okay? Thank you, my All friend. Right. Thank you, buddy. Thank you for calling. Keep smoking, my friend. <laughs> Smoke right. out. Have a nice day. You too. <laughs> Kenny, Kenny Rayner, ladies and gentlemen. Very funny guy. Uh, John has a good question. Uh, who would you have manager of the year so far? Baltimore, Arizona, uh, Texas is definitely options. I would I would say uh, Lavello for the Diamondbacks. I, I would, would say uh, Texas. Okay. No, Texas is a good one, too, with Bruce Bochy. He's definitely changed a lot, especially with that pitching staff, too. I think Bochy is the best manager right now in baseball. You definitely could argue that. Uh, John also said, I mean, you could also even put in Cincinnati with Reds in that talk, too. Yeah, if they win, like, 85-something games, yeah, they definitely could be because the Reds are supposed to be terrible this year. <laughs> and they're, they're on pace to win something like 85 games, and they could definitely win that division, too, especially the Brewers are in a tough spot right now where they might be stuck. A lot, a lot of players are free 
free agents this year. They might be stuck selling at this point, too, especially the, the rumors that David Stearns could end up leaving for the Mets. Too. Snug, we're not going to Mickey D's because if I know Brandon Jacobs, if I lose the bet, he's going to want to go to a steak dinner. And he's got a big son, and he's big. These guys are going to want, they're going to want a big dinner. So just so you know, wherever we go, it will be a high-class place because if I win, Brandon Jacobs is taking us to a steak dinner. So, so no matter what, uh, Kenny will have a chance to have a nice dinner and, and meet and greet an ex-NFL player. So. Uh, John also says he's not going to rival like Texas or the Dodgers. Uh, he's not going to Texas because Texas has spent a ton of money, too. They have like, the sixth, sixth highest payroll in baseball or something mm. like that. And then, but the Dodgers shed a lot of salary. They have a lot of guys that have come off, and really Betts and Freeman are really the only big long-term deals that they have in Kershaw, but Kershaw's is a one-year deal, and his is just $20 million. So. Joe, Joel Embiid said in an interview at the uninterrupted sports film festival that I just want to win a championship, whatever it takes. And B added, I don't know where that's going to be, whether it's in Philly or elsewhere. I just want to have a chance to accomplish that. And B said that he was hopeful that James Harden would change his mind about staying with Philly after requesting a trade a couple of weeks ago. Harden has since mentioned to multiple NBA insiders that he wants to be traded to the Clippers. Embiid has four years left on his Supermax contract, averaging $52 million per year. Embiid played 66 games this season, second most in a season he's played in his career. Embiid averaged 33.1 points per game, 10.2 two rebounds per game, 4.2 assists per game with a field goal percentage of 54.8, three-point percentage of 33%, and a free throw percentage of 85.7. Embiid is one of the biggest crybabies in the NBA. Honestly, he is. He's a great big man. He really is. He could do everything. He's injury prone. His career since coming from Kansas, when he was a top three pick, if everybody remembers, I think he was number three. Yeah. In the draft. And he was the best in that draft. No question that he was. But Embiid is the only MVP in NBA history to never take a team to an Eastern or Western Conference Finals. And that says a lot about him. He's not a winning player. And we've seen players like this. I'm going to say this because I was a big fan of his. Patrick Ewing. He still took his team to a Finals. He wasn't 100% healthy in that final either against the Rockets. He wasn't 100% healthy when they played in 99 against the Spurs. He, he really wasn't even the big part. Uh, it was really Larry Johnson, Allen Houston, and all the other additions. Sprewell. Patrick Ewan never won. He was a great center. Never won. And that's where I look at Joel Embiid. He is a great center. But will he ever get over the hump? Will he ever win? Will he ever make the team good enough to get to the finals and and be a contender? We have seen big men over the years fall apart in their later careers. And Joel Embiid, he's still fairly young. I think he's 28 years old, 27 years old. Uh, He still has, I believe, at least a good four years left in the NBA. But when you're playing for a 76er team that has been built to win 
over the last couple of years with Doc Rivers, who's won a championship with the Celtics and failed to do it with you guys, failed to do it with the Clippers, another good team, Lob City and all that other stuff, and now you bring in a guy like Nurse, and now you don't want to play for Nurse. Harden doesn't want to play for Nurse. They're looking to possibly trade Maxi. It doesn't make sense. So, of course, if I was in bead, I'm going to cry. I'm going to say, oh, I want to, I want to win a championship. And if it's here or somewhere else, which is probably telling you, if this team falls apart this year, he's going to request a trade. Like every single player is done because it's a player's league. The owners don't run the league anymore. The commissioner don't run the league anymore. It's all about the players. This is a player's league. So if Embiid is telling you and he's throwing you words that he will, he wants to do it in Philly or anywhere else, it's telling you that he's telling you that it's not going to work here because we all know somebody that said after he got a huge contract last year from the Portland Trailblazers, a.k.a. Damian Lillard says, he wants to be a Portland Trailblazer for life. And now all of a sudden, he goes to his agent, has his agent speak for him, and now he wants to be traded to one team and one team only, and that's the Heat. And if he doesn't get traded there, he doesn't want to play for anybody else, he won't play. And again, you also see the effect of James Harden, too. Like him already forcing his way out uh, last week that we heard he only wants to be traded to the Clippers, too. That's not something that Embiid is going to be able to trust, one, not only to get any good value back in a trade, because, again, the Clippers would have to trade uh, another max contract. Maybe if they want to trade Paul George, I guess that could go back in the trade. But beyond that, you're not going to get anything significant. So you can't really trust that. And James Harden is older, and he's had some injury issues. And, again, he disappears in the playoffs. So how much value does he really have? And maybe that's something that he's worried about. And maybe Tyrese Maxey is rubbing off on him the same way now he he has to get paid soon so the Sixers have decided do they want to give him a, a max contract that rookie wage scale contract or do they move off of him and just try to rebuild completely because if that's the case yeah trading Embiid is your best bet for sure because while he still has some value left off two really good like durability seasons in a row too Embiid is not going to be on the Bucks next year they don't have the money to do that how are they going to add Embiid with the Greek freak, and they just, uh, Chris Middleton just got right. a big contract. Um, they're paying Drew Holiday. How are they doing that? Not only that, it also doesn't make sense for the Sixers, too. If, you, if you're going to trade and beat, you want a, a, a team that's going to give you young players back. You're not going to, they don't have the Bucs don't have those really high upside young players to be able to do that. They have some good role players off the bench, like Connaughton and guys like that, but they're not guys you're going to build a team around as a main team. Here's the guy. name, here's the team that you're going to be hearing about if he, is possibly going to be traded. The Knicks. That's what you're going to be listening to. I'm not saying this because I'm a Knicks fan. I guarantee you it. He hangs out in New York. He loves the New York life. His wife is from New York. And to me, the Knicks have the draft stock. The Knicks have the young players to make that move. So, yeah, I think, yeah, yes, John, I could see the Jazz, the Knicks, Atlanta. I could see Atlanta, yeah. Yeah, I, I would see. I would say probably Knicks in Atlanta. I, I don't. I don't think the 76ers will trade him to the Jazz because they all know what Danny Ainge likes to do. Right. He likes to fleece people, and I do not believe that's going to happen. Yeah, I could definitely see Atlanta, though, because they lack a lot of defense, too. And Joel Embiid is a very good defender, versatile defender, too. He could play a lot of the four and five type roles, both versatilely, too, mm-hmm. in the same way. And they have have a great backcourt, as it is, that they're racing kind of with just this lackluster frontcourt that they've had. They already traded John Collins to the Utah yep. Jazz. So you get that money shed. You have room for another max contract. I mean, Trey Young got paid a super max, so you'd have two super maxes on your I can't team. believe he got a super max yeah, contract. Yeah, so you're dealing with that. For, for with I would have traded him. 
Yeah, I, again, he again, he's alpha down. He doesn't. Here. He doesn't want to be there. Yeah, and again, there were stories coming out that he didn't want to be in Atlanta. Now all of a sudden they give him a, a super max contract. Now you made him happy, but he's going to demand his way out. He got his money, and now he's going to say, you know, after a year, Atlanta stinks. They, they just traded away Collins. He goes over there to the Jazz. That was one of his best friends. So what what are they going to do this year? They're going to be just as bad, and they're going to be a, have a high first round draft pick this year. And then Trey Young is going to demand his way out. Now, so, you know, it doesn't other, make sense. Yeah, now the other thing, too, is if Joel Embiid doesn't want to play for a coach like Nick Nurse, too, who's a very d- defensive-minded coach, too, mm-hmm. the, the Atlanta just brought one in in Quinn Snyder, and obviously the Knicks have Tom Thibodeau, who's a lot of very stubborn types of coaches, too. So we'll see if Embiid actually uh, meshes if they end up going to one of those spots. MLB Network's John Morosi uh, reports that the Angels will listen for trade offers for Shea Otani. The Angels will only trade Shea Otani if the offer is extraordinary. High. Uh, MLB executives believe Otani will get a contract between $550 and $600 million. Ken Rosenthal reports last week that the Angels will most likely keep Otani and still try to compete. The Angels are currently nine games back for in the AL West and 4.5 games out of the wild card spot. Otani is hitting 307, 35 home runs, 76 RBIs this season. Otani has pitched 105 innings, has a 3.5 ERA, 1.12 whip, and 139 strikeouts. Otani's winning the MVP this year. I, I don't think anybody's going to argue that. Yeah. He is probably, if he stays healthy and he keeps on this hot streak, he's probably going to hit close to 60 home runs. I don't know if he's going to break Aaron Judge's home run record. It's it's not easy to do that. And, I, and even Judge said it today. He says, records are meant to be broken. Mm-hmm. So to say that Shea Otani can't do it, he could. He, he has, what, 76, 77 games to do it. If you look at the numbers, it would say that he will do it. But again, things happen. He could get injured. The Angels, if they get closer to a playoff spot, they might want to protect him and make sure he's healthy for the playoffs. I don't know what the Angels are thinking. All right? And they don't want to trade him, and he breaks the record somewhere else, like you heard Nelson Figueroa said. So it's very interesting with the Shea Otani thing. And here's another thing that you have to look at with a guy like Shea Otani. It's not just one team that's going to be gunning for him. You're talking about probably around every single playoff team. Even Atlanta would be stupid enough not to look at a guy like Shea Otani and think, oh, this could guarantee us a World Series championship. That would probably be the dream scenario for the And they have a great farm system. So if they trade one or two top prospects in the top 50 of baseball – it's not going to kill him. It's not going to hurt him, especially with the guys that they have up right now. So, it, to me, the Angels could absolutely gun and, and make a move for Shea Otani and rent him. And then maybe Shea Otani will look at this team and say, you know what, I can win a couple of World Series with this team. I'll stay in Atlanta. Right. He might take maybe $10 million less to go stay with that team. But Atlanta yeah. won't pay him. No, so I, it doesn't fit their mold. They're going to probably borrow him. And, and, and to them, it's all about championships. What do they care? 
Right. And again, that's what makes this market so tricky to judge if Shohei Otani will get traded because you need to have the solidification that you're going to be able to sign him. And that's why a lot of these lower market playoff teams are only going to do it right now for a rental type thing. And same kind of things with the East Coast teams. If Dallas really want to stay on the West Coast, that's going to knock off teams that might have been able to trade for him like the Phillies or the like you're saying the Braves or a team like the Reds or the Brewers that might be trying to win the division and you get him for a rental type thing too. That's going to knock that out because it's going to be very hard. Miami, same kind of thing. Like that's going to be like more than half their payroll if they end up trading for that kind of thing. And that's why the Dodgers, the Mariners, and the Giants, like we were talking about earlier, they all have good prospect pools, too, where they can make that kind of thing happen. It's just the question of do they want to be able to sign it right away? How confident do the Giants trust in their playoff spot right now and to be able to sign him long term? Same kind of thing with a team like the Mariners, who right now kind of like the kind of like where we were saying about the AL East teams are kind of on the outside looking in spot. And I think they're just slightly above the Angels, too. So it's going to be very hard for them to make that work, too. So it's a weird market for a player we've never seen a market for like this. And he's going to get his $500, $600 million. That's what right. he's going to get. He's going to be a very rich man, and somebody is going to give him what he wants. And it could be the Yankees. It could be the Dodgers. It could be San Francisco. I think San Francisco is going to offer him the most money. I think, they're, I think they'll go over $600 million. I, I could see them doing it. Mm-hmm. I, I really could. And they know they're good. They know that they're, if they had Shea Otani, they had the power bat that they desperately need in the middle of that lineup right. with the pitching staff that they have. You put him in your rotation, and that bullpen, they're going to be a contender every single year. So could I see San Francisco? I think I've been saying the L.A. Dodgers, and I know a lot of people would think that, but I, I wouldn't doubt San Francisco scooping him up. I right. wouldn't. Especially to steal him from the Dodgers, too. I mean, and this is a front office, too, with Farim Amadi as their GM now that has purged a lot of bad contracts. They've made a lot of good trades in order to do that. And the way they've been able to rebuild a lot faster than expected, too. They had the 107-win season two years ago where they were the number one seed in the National League, too. So the way they've rebuilt allows them to be able to go take a big swing now for somebody like Otani. And we've seen what the Giants have done with lesser pitchers. Maybe Otani can get another level of his pitching in San Francisco. I, I love when Jeff's says, what a great contract with Carlos Rodon, $27 million, 8.01 ERA. You're talking about two games. I, I do not believe Carlos Rodon, remember, he didn't have any spring training. He didn't even have a first half of the season. Stop it, Jeff. You, you really need to stop. John also says uh, the Phillies. Again, if the East Coast, West Coast thing doesn't matter as much to him, I could definitely see the Phillies based on the way they operate because they're a lot like the Angels. Like They have a very unconventional way of doing things where they've given out all these big contracts, especially with their hitters, too, with Bryce Harper, with Kyle Schwarber, et cetera, Real Muto. Mm -hmm. I could see that kind of thing. But they also need the pitching, too, so I could see that kind of thing being logical if he does want to go to the East Coast. I also believe when you look at guys like Shea Otani and you look at all these guys that are getting these big contracts, if they produce on the field and they're putting out what you expect him to put out every single year, year out of year out of year, when they become a free agents or they become available for free agency, they're going to get a lot of money. And, and the way baseball is and there's no salary cap and there's no nothing you're, we're going to see a billion billion dollar player eventually. Right. We're going to see something like that. It's not going to be now. It won't be probably for the next 10 years, but eventually we're going to see a guy that's going to make a billion dollars mm-hmm. because they're that good and if if the team believes that that player is going to transition their team and take their team to that next level, a.k.a. Mike Trout and Shea Otani and all these other guys, well, they're going to pay those guys. And, and as you saw, a guy like Aaron Judge this offseason where a lot of people thought he might have three or four good years left at best, and the guy is a big guy, 285 pounds. He's at the tail end of his baseball career because of his size. 
I mean, he's 31. He's going to be, he's, I think he's 32 this year. You're, you're paying him nine years, $390 million. Right. That's a lot of money to pay a guy that you probably are going to get three, four, three to four maybe good years back from him. So it just, I don't know. Uh, John also says Houston will also be scary with Otani and Valdez. See, the thing is, John, Houston's a lot like the Braves. They don't pay a lot of their players. They give out more of the smart contracts. I think they just paid Jordan Alvarez, and Jordan Alvarez was the first $200 million contract they gave in that regime. So, so I don't really see the Astros. And the Angels are not going to trade him to the Astros. It's the same division. They're going to ask for a king ransom. And the Angels are going to have to do that either way because they're kind of stuck in that middle ground where they're. we've seen teams rebuild from small prospect pools quickly, too, and have instant impacts right away. The Padres three years ago. The same kind of thing. The Orioles the last two years, the Diamondbacks this year. Why not take that approach? That's modern baseball. You're, just because teams like the Phillies and teams like the Mets have just spent all this money and have still, uh, not the Mets this year winning, but they've still won, that doesn't mean it's necessarily a sustainable approach either. The Angels have to realize that. Absolutely. Are you ready for Bracket Wars? All right, yes. Yeah, so the Bracket Wars, our new bracket, will be New York slash New Jersey. So tri-state area athletes of the last 60 years. So when the Mets, the Jets, the Islanders became Jets favorites. Yes, so here we go. The new Bracket Wars. It's time for Bracket. 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 It's time for Bracket Wars. So we got two matchups today, one of which I kind of added a little irony to, Mike Piazza versus Roger Clemens for their whole World Series scuffle. That is one matchup, and the other one is Scott Niermeyer versus Lawrence Taylor. Let's go Mike Piazza and Roger Clemens. The number 10 seed, Mike Piazza, from 1998 and 2005 with the Mets. Piazza hit 296, 220 home runs, 655 RBIs, and a on-base percentage of 373. In the playoffs with the Mets, Piazza hit 268, five home runs, 12 RBIs, and a 392 on-base percentage. In 16 MLB seasons, Piazza hit 307, 427 home runs, 1,335 RBIs, and was had an on-base percentage of 377. In 32 postseason games, Piazza hit 242, six home runs, 15 RBIs, and a 301 on-base percentage. Piazza was a 12-time All-Star, 10-time Silver Slugger, and won a Rookie of the Year. Mike Piazza is the best catcher of this era. I mean, you can argue. I mean, probably him and Pudge. Right. Those are the two guys that you will mention. Pudge is going to be a Hall of Famer. I believe Pudge was doing uh, steroids. Yeah, I believe Mike that. Piazza was doing steroids. But I, they're both going to the Hall of Fame because... Supposedly, they were never proven to do steroids. So, even with the pimples on their back and everything. But Mike Piazza, still, I think they should be allowed to do steroids, by the way. I think Mike Piazza is one of the greatest, or one of the top five, six catchers to ever play the game. Yeah, definitely top three offensively. When you're talking about, like, battle of this era, too, obviously Pudge's defense will put him over Piazza because Piazza wasn't the defensive catcher or anywhere close to what Pudge was. But Piazza's offensive numbers were off the charts, too, and was consistent for a while, too, even towards the end of his career with the Mets as well. Still was putting up great numbers on a lot of teams that were really bad with the Mets. Roger Clemens, the number seven seed from 1999 to 2003 with the Yankees. Clemens had a 3.99 ERA, 946 strikeouts, and a 1.3 whip in 1,004 innings pitch. Clemens has 354 wins, a 3.12 ERA, a 1.17 whip, and and 4,672 strikeouts in 4,917 innings pitched. Clemens had a 3.62 ERA, a 1.25 whip, 
and 98 strikeouts in 18 playoff starts with the Yankees. Clemens has a 3.75 ERA, a 1.22 whip, 173 strikeouts in 34 career playoff starts for the Red Sox, Astros, and Yankees. Clemens was a 11-time All-Star, a 7-time Cy Young Award winner, won the ERA title seven times, won the pitching triple crown twice, and won the MVP in 1986 with the Red Sox. Honestly, you can argue Randy Johnson and Roger Clemens were the best power pitchers of all time. Honestly. And the fact that Roger Clemens is in in the Hall of Fame is an absolute joke. It is an absolute joke. Yes, he did steroids. Yes, he did it with the Blue Jays, probably with the Astros, as as he's admitted with Andy Pettit. I don't think he did it all his whole career. He didn't do it all his whole career with the Red Sox. And I think he had over 3,000 strikeouts before he left the Red Sox. He is a Hall of Famer. He is one of the, I would say, top 10 pitchers to ever play this game. Okay? Right-handed pitchers, top five. So, uh, I don't know, understand why he's not in the Hall of Fame. It doesn't make any sense. Well, nobody understands the baseball writers the way they are. They're just so stingy with everything. They have their quote-unquote favorites all the time. Nobody understands that. But, yes, one of the best power pitchers, definitely, of this generation. Like you were saying, him and Randy Johnson probably have the most electric fastball stuff that we've seen mm-hmm. in really uh, this generation, this 21st century. And even before that, too, like you were saying with the Red Sox in 86, he won an MVP. Mm-hmm. That was, that's to say a lot. And he pitched very well in that postseason. Here's a number that stands out. 4,672 strikeouts. In 4,917 innings. I rest my case. Yeah. All right? It's ridiculous. Um, I'm going with Roger Clemens. I'm going to go with Roger Clemens as well. Yeah. I, I, no offense to Mike Piazza. He was a great catcher, and he had a great career. I just think Roger Clemens is one of the top ten pitchers to ever play the game. Yeah, like if Mike Piazza had the defense, I might have taken him because his offensive numbers are great. But his, his defensively, he was an average defensive catcher. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't like the complete all around. All right. We have Scott Niedermeyer versus Lawrence Taylor. This is going to be interesting. The number 14 versus the number three. Scott Niedermeyer. Had 172 goals, 568 assists, 740 total points in 18 NHL seasons. Niedermeyer had 112 goals, 364 assists, and 476 point total points in 13 seasons with the Devils. In 15 years in the postseason, Niedermeyer had 25 goals, 73 assists, and 98 total points. In 11 years in the postseason for the Devils, Niedermeyer had 17 goals, 47 assists, and 64 total points. Niedermeyer was a four-time All-Star. Won an Art Ross Trophy, the Norris Trophy, the Conn Smythe Trophy, and a four and four Stanley Cups. Just so everybody knows what the Art Ross Trophy, Art Ross Trophy is, Speedy. Art Ross Trophy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Art Ross Trophy pretty much predicts what he is as a player, and he was one of the he was the best player in the league. That year, yeah, they they keep changing the rule with that. It's like statistically the best, and then there's also the Hart Trophy, so it's very weird. Yeah, well, at that year, I think the Art yeah, Ross I Trophy think it was a different name. Yeah, yeah. So whatever. He Scott Niedermeyer is one of the greatest defensemen ever to play. All right, and that's there's yeah. no question, especially here in New York. I would say. You can argue he was better than Brian Leach. You can argue he had a longer career. He played. He was better years. all around than Brian Leach was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Rob Niedermeyer, his brother, really never really turned into the player that they thought he was going to be. That's especially right. I he had a brother. Yeah. Yeah. He played. I think he was drafted by the Florida Panthers, seventh pick in the first round. Yeah. And he never really transitioned into the player they thought he was going to be. Lawrence Taylor. 
Had 1,088 total tackles, 142 sacks, 33 forced fumbles, and 10 fumble recoveries in 13 NFL seasons and 184 NFL games. Taylor was a 10-time Pro Bowler, 8-time first-team All-Pro player, and 3-time second-team All-Pro player. Taylor was a 3-time Defensive Player of the Year, a member of the 1980 All-Decade team, won two Super Bowls, and is one of only two defensive players to ever win an MVP. In 15 playoff games, Taylor had 8.5 sacks, a fumble recovery, and an interception return for a touchdown. Lawrence Taylor is ninth all-time in sacks and has a half a sack more than Michael Strahan for most in Giants history. I believe, and I, I, I believe this, Lawrence Taylor is the second greatest defensive lineman to ever play right behind Reggie White. He's that good. Some people say he's the best. He believes that he's second best from behind Reggie White. But fantastic defensive player. Uh, absolutely explosive. Loves to sniff cocaine. <laughs> um, there's no question that he does. And loves uh, his prostitutes. But nevertheless, Lawrence Taylor was a great player. Dominant force for the Giants defense. And the only reason why they won two Super Bowls. Yeah, and again, you also look at really revolutionizing the outside rushing, too, because there was a lot of uh, stand-up stand pass rushers on the defensive line, and a lot of those that strived in the 70s and before that were all in the 4-3 defense. This really was the first one to take over that 3-4 defense and pave the way for guys like DeMarcus Ware and Terrell Suggs down the road, too, that we've seen strive in th this 3-4 defense, too. And like we were talking about in the last bracket wars with Mike Tyson, too, like there might not be a more intimidating guy at the line of scrimmage to fear than Lawrence Taylor, either. Who do you have? I got Lawrence Taylor. I have one. Lawrence Taylor, too. So we have, uh, we both made the same pick, so they're moving on. I like Scott Niedemeyer. I do like Mike Piazza, but the the two guys that they faced in the first round are, to me, two of the best at their positions. So uh, it's hard to go at and, and, and argue those points. They're both high, you know, high when it comes to these seeds. So yeah. I, I I thought Roger Clemens would be even a higher seed. Yeah, the, there's a lot of baseball players. When I was doing this, there was a lot of Yankees that, again, we're going to put A-Rod, we're, we're going to put Jeter. Like, there's a lot of the Mariano Rivera, like, is the best closer of all time. So, like, where you put him? It was yeah. very tough doing this, but I had, I, I figure my number one seeds were Rivera and Martin Brodor, because I think they're, like, undistinctively the best at their positions. Mm -hmm. Like, you could argue probably a lot of the other ones, too. Absolutely. And then you got Tom Seaver mixed in there and like, a bunch of other guys that are too seeds. Uh, Mark Messier's in there. So it was, it was tough. <laughs> Thank you to Dolphins and Giants ex-cornerback Tony Lippett for joining us. He was fantastic. He really yeah. was, as always. Thank you also to nine-year MLB pitcher and current co-host of New York Sports Nation Nightly, Nelson Figueroa. Thank you to Nelson. He he was on for uh, with us for about 35 minutes. He was yep. fantastic as well. So, uh, great guest tonight, Speedy. Great topics. Great. Thank you to all the fans out there that are listening to us all over the country, all over the world. Uh, check us out by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Uh, and, and listen. Thank you to Kenny. Thank you for thank you to Jeff, all the callers that call into the show and interact with us. Thank you to John Suggs and all the guys writing on our feeds and pissing us off or pissing me off. Uh, but thank you. You guys are fantastic. We really appreciate everybody for all the platforms that we're on, even including our stream, the thousands of people that listen to us, uh, you know, when they're sitting home, hanging out with the kids, driving their cars, hanging out at the beach, wanting to list our crazy asses. Thank you to all of you guys. Uh, what do we have tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow, confirmed at 9.30 for sure, uh, ex-goalie Eddie Lack, who played for Vancouver. He played for Calgary, uh, the Hurricanes, and the Devils. He'll, he'll be on at 9.30 for sure. And then we might have a... Uh, 
International Baseball Writers Association writer Sean Negron. We might have him. He said he has to look, check his work schedule, but if he'll be on, he'll be on at 11. It'll be fun. Uh, thank you to all the fans again. We'll be back tomorrow. Good night, everybody. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.